This episode of Road Soda is brought to you by Crest Taint Whitening Strips. The top taint scientists got together and the results are sparkling. Crest Taint Whitening Strips. For a taint so bright white, you'll need an eye mask for your asshole. I've heard all the same promises. 10% whiter, 20% less burning. Big business is constantly lying its way onto my taint. Sometimes my taint is arguably brighter, but then the burning increases. Or when they come out with a product that doesn't burn quite as much, I don't get compliments on my taint. What will make these strips any different? Those assholes at Colgate don't know their taints from their teeth. Our guys called their lab and they are using the exact same strips at both ends. Teeth strips on your taint? What are you, an idiot? Crest Taint Whitening Strips. For a white so bright, your balls will call your asshole to shut the hall light off. A Popco brand. Hello, welcome, and thank you for cracking another road soda. You know what they say, Greg, once you crack, you can't go back, get a job. All right, Greg, on this episode, we have Greg finally blows his load about Infinite Jess, and I'm really excited to be there for it. I'm Isaiah Cooper. I'm Greg McGinnis. We have a stock market calamity, people killing themselves on live television, and black women ruling Coachella. Woo! Good afternoon. It's a good. That is a good afternoon. That sounds like it is going to be a great afternoon. That sounds like an ideal afternoon for uh, you know any of us there. I super pumped about this episode. As every episode, it is episode eighty-seven. And before we jump off for those free listener appreciation postcards. Send your mailing address to roadsodamail at gmail.com. Now, we're sending out these a bunch of these, and when you get them, let us know that you got them that way and uh, and take a picture of yourself with it because we're collecting, or you don't even have to take a picture of yourself if you don't want to. You can put it up if you have it on your refrigerator. Just take a picture of it or are you doing something with it and uh, send them back to us because we're collecting all these pictures and we're going to put them all up at once. So we haven't showed anybody what these postcards look like yet because we want it to be a surprise for you guys. We want it, you know, if you are giving us your, your address and we're sending it to you, and we, we hand write on all these motherfuckers ourselves, and we put uh, fun little things on there. So we want you guys to be surprised. We want you guys to, to enjoy them. Send us a picture of them. We're going to put them all up at once. And again, that's roadsodamail at gmail.com. And of course, if you're not fucking subscribing to us yet, uh, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us everywhere wherever you can follow somebody at Road Soda Podcast. And uh, 87 me, Greg. 87 me. So, yes, this week I subscribed to the number 87 for our 87th episode. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question. Can you do the quick math? If you made $87 an hour, how much are you making per year? Uh, carry the one. 
Add the two. One million exactly. One hundred and seventy-four thousand dollars. You would be making a little more than a dentist. Are you sure, Greg? You would be making a little more than a dentist. Because there's a reason why I'm not making eighty-seven an hour. And a little less than a pediatrician. You know who makes one hundred seventy-four thousand dollars a year? A veterinarians. Your congressmen and your senators. That's the average. They sit somewhere between a dentist. And a, a dentist. That's and such a, a funny perspective. A way of looking at it. You sit, you sit nice and comfortably between a dentist and a pediatrician. I'm out there in the streets trying to get the information, and I know you love it when I bring us back. What the real 87 is all about. The real 87 is about is our congressman. That's how 87 ties into your life. We don't get political. We're just saying. We're just saying. They make 87 dollars an hour. So what cons- the fuck? Is that a coincidence? No, that's a conspiracy. I think not. Yes, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> I also listened to a. Episode 87 of a podcast that we both enjoy. Episode 87 of The Dollop from June 10th, 2015. They were on 87 in 2015, which means they're a bi-weekly, but they only come out once a week. (laughs) And they were weekly at that point. Well, he says bi-weekly at the beginning, but they, they come out once a week. Yes, they started in... 2013. April 2014. So our podcast has honestly been running almost as long as the dollop. Isn't that crazy? Because we started in 2015. We started in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that fucking nuts? Right on your fucking ass, Gareth. Where I, Gareth fucking, you better watch your back. <laughs> so what's, they, the, what's the other guy's name? He's the guy, dude. What's Dave his, Anthony is the Dave fucking Anthony, guy. Dave Anthony, that's right. Dave Anthony. Uh, He's all right, yeah. Dave, if you're listening, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. I have an idea. He, I know Gareth is your fucking sidekick, okay? Isaiah's got the... He's the Gareth... Gareth's the fucking sidekick, okay? Dave is the guy bringing it. Carrying the fucking load. Dave, he's... Okay. Episode 87 from June 10th, 2015 is called Action Park. It's about this fucking amusement park in New Jersey in the 70s and 80s. The gist of it is this guy wrote up on the back of a napkin what the park should look like. And they put this shit into action, and it was extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. Liquor was all abound at this. This was like park. a real place. This it? was a real yeah. place, absolutely. This was seventies and eighties. They, I'm sure, for the show, they were kind of priming the pump a little bit, adding to the injuries and whatnot. But it does sound like it was a fucking alcohol soaked. And that was no episode eighty-seven of the dollop. Yeah. Wow. It was. It was pretty funny, actually. The that shit is... that was happening. The rides were like. You couldn't even make this shit up. How oh, really? Up? Yeah. yeah, wasn't it like a, they just had like, um, they, it was like like steel, big steel slides, and they just put like a kid on like a board with some wheels, and they'd be like looped to do some jumps these, and they shit. They had these fiberglass things, or on some of the slides, you just go down on your ass. Mm-hmm. They had this water, one particular ride where you went into the dark, and there were like jagged rocks, and people were like getting fucking regularly hit, because <laughs> the jagged rocks were like right there. They, and then... They made the excellent observation, which it takes you a second to realize. Why would they put jagged rocks if it's dark anyway? How does that fucking do anything except add to the potential of injury? <laughs> well, that's, that is the idea. But that's people so were getting <laughs> fucked up. Some people yeah. died. A lot of people got hurt. Like broken bones, sprained ankles, all that type of shit. Just the rides. They did a thing where they were paying people when they first got rides going. They were like, who wants to try this out? Nobody. How about for a hundred bucks? And people were like, okay. 
So the people at the park <laughs> were getting like the, the reverse, workers were gonna reverse Disney World. They pay you. They pay you to go. Well, it was like the workers, you know what I mean? So the dude doing hot dogs are like, who's got the balls to get up on the incinerator? And they're like, I don't know. A lot of these rides are dangerous. Fuck it, a hundred bucks? I'll try it. My doctor bill won't even be a hundred bucks. So that was that was funny. Back in twenty fifteen. Yeah, dog. I've heard of Adventure Park. I think my uh, Action Park. Action Park. Action Park, yeah. My uh my uncle could tell you stories about Action Park. Where was it? Where in New Jersey was it? Um, he said the name of the city. It was like, not not fully South Jersey, but it's. If anybody in in Jersey knows about Action Park, I guarantee my, because you know that's my mother's side and her brother, they're from, they're from up in, like, uh, Paramus and Ridgewood. That area is like just outside of, uh, it's like Newark. That area. Paramus is like right outside New York. This is in Vernon. New- which is like an hour northwest of the city. Okay. So kind of like northern right. New Jersey. Yeah. So anyway, it was open from the 70s into the mid-90s, and um, it was hilarious. They do a good job, as always. They do a fantastic really job. Really laying it on thick with the extra danger and, you know, idiocy of the guys. I'm gonna, yeah, I'll have to check out that, one, that episode. Uh, then the year of 1987. So real quick, movie of the year, 87. Awesome fucking movie. Oliver Stone war movie about Vietnam called... To Death Do Us Part. With Charlie Sheen, mm-hmm. Tom Berenger, Willem Dafoe. Full Metal Jacket. Platoon. Oh, shit. Fucking badass movie. Berenger, I just... I didn't. I only knew this doing the little research. Berenger and Willem Dafoe were both nominated for supporting... Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. Which you don't see that a lot, dude. Wow. Nobody In the same they, movie? In the same movie. Yeah. And there was no, like, main actor. I suppose you could say Charlie Sheen was, like, the main actor, but there was a lot of shit going on. It was kind of an ensemble thing. That was a great movie, dude. I remember seeing that and just being, like, blown away. Like, wow. Yeah, I've heard... A, I've, I've actually seen that in more recent times on TV. I was kind of pieced together. But, yeah, it's, like, an, one of those f- fantastic movies. Like, Charlie Sheen, at, the, at a time when he was just fucking fantastic, man. He, he had a lot of really great movies, and that was probably the pinnacle it was, a, it was a great storyline. They went way out of it. And a little aside on Platoon, very funny part of the Naked Gun. You know the Naked Gun movies. Mm-hmm. There's a little montage where he's he met, meets Priscilla Presley and they're like in love and they do this montage and everything they do is making, you know, they're they're having such a great time. They're running down the beach mm-hmm. and there's like someone jogging and they're holding hands and they just fucking clothesline the guy. Right. And then they come out of the movies and they're laughing their ass off hysterically because they're so in love and then it goes up to the marquee and it says Platoon. Right. <laughs> Fucking love that. Uh, best song, Walk Like an Egyptian. Everybody knows that song. Not a great song. Love the fucking bangles, though. Susanna Hoffs was, like, super fucking hot in the late 80s. She was, like, the lead singer of the bangles. Mm-hmm. One of the fucking... She was, like, a Britney Spears or something. In the oh, 80s. yeah. Um, and then number one TV show, not much has changed. If you remember from our last episode, number one TV show was... Still Bill Crasby. Yes. Holy shit. And the only thing that was different now, Cosby Show was still the number one show. Number two show was a fucking spin-off of the Cosby Show. A spin-off of the Cosby Show. Lisa Bonet was the daughter. She goes away to college, like this historically black college. I Mm want to say it was called Hillman. Wow. You you said it was Spelman. And I think Spelman and Hillman are colleges. I think she went to Hillman. Mm -hmm. And then the the show was set like on the college campus. Right. And that was the number two show. Number two show. Yeah, you fucking. They were fucking batting it out of the goddamn. He ruled the fucking world in the Mm -hmm. late eighties, dude. He had it on. You know what I gotta say, dude? If the you know with that much grace, with that much greatness, 
someone's losing out. Yep. There's some something's being fed on the other side. So. With great power comes great mixology skills. Mixology skills slash rapeability. <laughs> you guys, you want to? What do they used to? Please continue. You got a couple more. I know. I got yeah. So so some of the things that happened in '87, uh, in the beginning of the year, the Dow Jones crossed over two thousand dollars in, in the beginning of the year, closed at two thousand two dollars on January eighth. Later in the year, in October, on the 19th, is a very famous day called Black Monday, where the stock market, not the stock market, the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped over 22%. The biggest drop in the history of the stock market, the drop in, the, in 1929, it was like a couple of huge drops mm-hmm. in the stock market. But uh, that is the, still the biggest one-time drop in the Dow one-time Jones. One-time drop to this day. To this day. Yeah, it was pretty scary. Weren't people, didn't like just... In that little moment, it caused so much panic. Like, and there was, oh, a, yeah. there was a bit of panic there, huh? Yeah, there was a lot of stuff, and it was weird. I was reading a little bit about what's weird is it came back relatively, relatively quickly. quick. It wasn't even a big thing. It was just, a... <laughs> I mean, well, it was a big thing for people that sold and lost a bunch of money or whatnot, you know. But yeah, if you wrote it out, probably six months, most of the money. Yeah, was back. it's not like it was a, a recession. It throwed you, it threw people into. Um, everyone's losing houses and retirement funds and stuff like that. Right. It was just a it was a blip. A blip. Right before Black Monday, this was kind of famous at the time, baby Jessica fell into a well in Midland, Texas. Ugh. It was a big deal. Baby Jessica, like the cameras were all there. She fell into like an abandoned well and it took a while for them to get to pull her out. Ugh. Baby Jessica. Baby Jessica, get her out of the way. They were selling shirts and they were selling corn dogs and it was a fucking thing. Everybody knows. They did a Baby great Jessica. Simpsons, by the way, with Baby Timmy Timmy O'Toole. Timmy O'Toole fell down the well. Bart found this baby monitor and he threw the baby monitor down in the well and he was like, "Help! I'm stuck in the well." And then it got out of control. Like all these people, Sting came. Krusty the Clown was there. They had like all the pomp and circumstance. Kind of based on this baby Jessica yeah. thing. T-shirts that said, I survived Timmy O'Toole falling down the right. well. <laughs> they did a song, like a We Are the World song. to Everyone helps, comes out and helps. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's such a, a fantastic, like the, the dollop talks about it, so many different aspects where like that used to be, those little interest pieces used to fucking just sweep the nation, especially when information and entertainment wasn't so accessible, like with Twitter, uh, with social media and everything. Like, that shit used to fucking get people going when there wasn't cat videos. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you get shirts and everything. Let's go. A couple more 87s, right? Yes. April, The Simpsons first appear, April 1987, on the Holy Tracy Ullman Show. So that's kind of a big deal. July of 1987... Rick Astley released the Simpsons hit. appear on the Tracy Ullman show. They, they shouted out as shorts, like a little sh- adult swim type situation on Tracy Ullman before they became Who's their Tracy own show. Ullman? Who's Tracy Ullman, really? She was like a great fucking, uh, what do you call him? Like she did all kinds of costumes. You right. never saw Tracy Ullman before, really? Oh, dude, you would love Tracy Ullman. She's fucking fantastic. She does what is it? Is it a show? Is it, it a was late like show? The Tracy Ullman t- show, yeah. It, okay. was, it was like a Fox show. Uh, it was like her sketch show. Right, okay. She pretty much, she had a cast of players, but she dressed up like so many different people. She had a whole ah, thing. Okay. She was, so it was like a, she had a character kind of thing, a sketch show. Yes. And there was these clips. I never knew that that's how The Simpsons got no started. No shit. I thought yeah. that was one of those things. Isn't that so funny? Yeah, it's great. I'm really surprised you don't know who Tracy Ullman was, but maybe she was kind of gone before. 
Yeah. I mean, if anyone listening has noticed, and we're as we're going through these numbers yet, we have yet to get to the number where I go, it's the year I was born, so if that's just putting any kind of perspective <laughs> on what the fuck were, was going on here. Uh, I'm going to send you some Tracy Ellman shit, though, because I love fucking Tracy Ellman. She does a lot of... She's a British lady, does a lot of good fucking characters. And, well, thank you for, for yeah. The Simpsons. Yeah. Wow. And that was the birthplace of The Simpsons. Uh, Rick Astley, in July, releases a hit single... Why is this song famous? You must know. The song, Never Gonna Give You Up. Why is oh. that relevant 42 years later? 42 years because of the meme, the Rick Rolling phenomenon. The Rick Rolling phenomenon. We had July 27th, 1987 to thank for that. Thank you. Now, 87's big, man. Then, um, this was kind of a big deal. In January of 1987, Pennsylvania treasurer Bud Dwyer comes out and does a press conference because he was caught... Being found guilty on charges of bribery, mm-hmm. fraud, conspiracy, and racketeering. Right. Let's just slow down, right? Let's slow down. Let's just slow let's down. Slow down. Let's, let's, before you barrel through this one, because this is going to be the last one. Before you barrel... I don't know if Bud Dwyer rings any bells for anyone out there, but anyone with a fucking keyboard and the internet in front of their goddamn face has probably heard of it. And if you haven't, it's because you haven't pointed that keyboard and that internet into dark and deep enough places on the internet because <laughs> you kind of should though you kind of should because if you if somebody hasn't sent you a link and gone hey yeah you should check this out and then you click that link and it's uh bud dwyer it is it is a very crazy so if, let's just break it down right now uh i didn't know what he got found for so he got found for what was the list Bribery, fraud, conspiracy, and racketeering. He right. was a Pennsylvania treasurer. And he's a Pennsylvania treasurer, and he was doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Not that crazy. Well, you know? I mean, he's going to go to jail. I mean, for him, it's for him. But, but think about over. it. But really think about it. Uh, you know, it's a white collar crime uh, where he's not like he's going to get fucking like butt jerked in prison over that kind of stuff. They're not going to fuck him up. He's just a white collar crime kind of thing. Uh, he could probably get a pretty decent spot in prison, and uh, it's not like he's going away for. Lifetimes you could probably afford. It's not like a huge kind of thing, you know. But he might have been like an honor guy. Like I'm Bud Dwyer, the Philadelphia. Clearly, the, the he wasn't a fucking treasure. honor guy. But that was he his. Was doing that this. was his identity. And sometimes people get it. Who knows? Maybe he owed money, or he had a girlfriend on the side, or who knows why he did yeah. it. I think something there's got to be away. something outside of just those those things. And we haven't said what it is yet. And I love that we haven't done that. But it's there's something. I think there is something. More because it's like if somebody gets arrested for that now, like any one of these guys, like our president, our fucking president has got like some of those exact same fucking things attached to him, and he's not fucking, right. he's not doing, he's not pulling a Bud Dwyer. It's like it's so much more, uh, not okay, but it's like we almost don't frown upon. We do, we absolutely frown upon it, but it's just like a different thing when somebody is racketeering and fucking with people's money. It's like. Yeah. In some ways, it's almost iconicized with like mobsters and shit like that. It's just a really, uh, a really fucking strange thing. But anyway, continue. So what does he do? He's at a press conference, right? So live from New York. He's at a press conference, and he's. I just saw a short clip. I'm mm-hmm. sure there's longer ones, but he's got these envelopes, and he's like, "Mark Stevens, will you come up? Here's an envelope." He goes, "Just hang on to this for a second. Yep. Jimmy Johnson. Here you go. Where's Mike? Here you go, Mike. He gives it all. I love to you, him. Mike. Always oh, dead. All right. He, he gives out a few of them, <laughs> and then he goes into a Manila envelope. And he pulls out this fucking revolver, yeah. like a fucking cowboy revolver. What's he going to do with that? And it, it, it's like one count, two count. Before we get to three, everyone's like, whoa! Like and he's, he's staving out. people off. He's got a gun in one he's hand. He's got his hand. He's like, just everyone relax. Everyone relax. 
clearly it's going the other way. People uh-huh. are like, he's got the podium and the microphone, and he's the treasurer, and he's got a fucking gun in his he's hand. Gun. And he had it in a manila envelope. He just passed out a bunch of notes. People are like, what you the know, fuck? Not as a goof. Not as a goof. <laughs> not as a goof. I'm just fucking with you guys. This is fake. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you guys. I mean, come on. And then... And then with not much circumstance, uh, pomp and circumstance mm-hmm. or any real speech or anything, he puts that baby under his chin and fucking, bam. Let's her go. Pulls that trigger on right an on unbelievable amount of blood is coming out of the dude's unbelievable. mouth. Unbelievable. It's tragic. Very it's tragic and it's like very... You know, to see it on like an 80s video or whatever, you see that shit now all There's the time. There's multiple angles. Movies. There was a press conference. Yeah. There was photographers and video cameras fucking rolling. Like mm-hmm. a press conference is made just for that. Like everyone come around, I got something to fucking say. Mm-hmm. And it was it's pretty brutal to watch a dude take it. It is fucking life. insanely brutal. Uh, and it's very sad and it's very dark. And um, yeah, we're laughing about it, <laughs> laughing about it here, but it's not like a not something you think about when you think about not the eighties. Yeah. The Bangles, it's really the rough. Cosby Show, everything is. You and know, Bud Dwyer, you know, Bud Dwyer shoots himself <laughs> to start the year. Happy New Year, Jesus. Hi, Percy Mays here with Ultra Screen Clean. You know my brother Billy is dead. But you might not know how he died. Filthy cell phone screen. Ultra Screen Clean is the only filth fighting product that harnesses the cleaning power of Swedish algae. Think there are a lot of germs on a homeless guy's taint? Of course there are. But right now, your cell phone has five times more filth. So if you want to keep using your face as a park bench, have at it. But if you want an ultra clean cell phone and to not die like my brother, Ultra Screen Clean is the answer. My name is David Potter. I tried a lot of different products before this one, and my life totally sucked. But then I came across this one, and I am so happy. I literally cream my slacks on a regular basis. But wait, there's more. If you order now, we will send you an extra month's supply free. Ultra Screen Clean, a Popco brand. This just in breaking fucking news, Greg. Luminary uh, just launched last week the all-new podcasting app. Of course, it's like Spotify is trying to be, uh, like they're pointing themselves in the angle of being like the Netflix for podcasting. But Luminary, that's what they're, as they launched, that's what they want. They want to be the place you go for podcasting to get new and originals, but also the other stuff for your Hulu or your Netflix. Um, but since it's launched, so it launched last week, it's got a, it was a hundred million dollar startup. That's how much funding this bad boy wow. got. And that's, yeah, that's, that's a fucking big one. Podcast startup, Luminary's launch week keeps getting worse. And I think that's a little alarmist. People are being out uh, maybe they, everyone just wants to be out to get everybody when it comes to this kind of stuff. But uh, they, there are some setbacks. So because of how they're set up, uh, they're like how. Uh, let me just read it for you. Major creators are continuing to remove their shows from Luminary, the one hundred million dollar subscription podcast startup, startup. Over its business model, and even more are leaving after the company was exposed for using a proxy server that hides listeners' data uh, from creators. Which, 
dude, if you've got somebody like fucking Joe Rogan, who's one of the people that pulled their uh, pulled their shows off. Oh, of he Luna, already did pull it. He they, he was on there for a day and they pulled it. When you got people pulled with, it, meaning they automatically were going out there aggregating yeah, everything. Well, I, he even if uh, they didn't have to do anything to get it. on. Not necessarily. So yes and no. I think there are people that they specifically were like. They have to ask. We want you to be on here. Will you be on here? Will you okay. do this? And then there's a lot of them that were just kind of like. But so Joe Rogan was on it for a day, and then they uh, his team decided to pull it off. But the reason is because when you have like that many listeners, uh, and and your show because you have that many is is, va- is so highly valued. You need to know where the people are that are listening. You need to know who they are fucking sex gender age and everything because it's the only way like people need those demographic numbers when you have such a highly valued show and because of how it was set up and how the podcast rss feed was going through like this proxy server it was fucking up all their stats and because all their stats weren't coming back accurately or they were being spoofed or whatever they were like fuck it we're not even going to be on this and then there's also so they got some type of check from luminary for participating and they were like we're not even cashing that shit just fuck you maybe i'm not i'm not sure they... it didn't say it doesn't say well the other reason is they also don't a lot of these guys don't want to be a part of uh, on luminary because they would be giving them something for free because Luminary it's is a paid. free, it's and paid. now it's going to be. It's at the moment. I think they have like free, like you can access some of the free stuff. You can, I believe so. Because I, I so can I tell you what my inch, my thing with Luminary. This is why I knew I heard of it. It's going to be a subscription based service. Guys, we fucked mentioned it. Like, hey, we're going to be on Luminary. This was like two weeks ago, or whatever. I went and looked it up. Wicked annoying process to fucking you had to sign up all this shit. It's just then like, I'm like yeah. I got to pay. Like before I even do anything, I got to pay. And I said, fuck that shit. And then the next time I heard about it was you telling me that they launched. and, and They launched, and here they are, and, the, and a lot of people are starting to dip. So the what comes from a place like from Joe Rogan is, I'm wait, you're telling me I'm bringing thousands upon thousands of people onto your app, and you're charging them a, a subscription fee. Where's my, where am I getting? So maybe he just, they weren't the, getting money the way they thought they would. But you can't charge people for something they're already getting for free everywhere. So there is a baseline of free shit that you can get through Luminary. There is some benefit to aggregating and to popularizing the brand because they'll be taking that money and putting it into marketing mm-hmm. to put podcasts. And they're also going to be there. making their own podcasts. They're mm-hmm. going to be a, a place that that is giving just like Netflix Originals. There's going to be Luminary Originals. Mm-hmm. So that's the exciting. And like aspect. if so, if we're talking about like Joe Rogan as the Cosby Show on networks, he doesn't want to give anything to any other TV show. But this is not really that. It's saying hey. Come watch the Cosby Show. You turn your TV on. There's a TV. It's a thing you can watch. If you like that, you might also like this other thing. Right. So I could see some of the benefit, but at the same time, it's like you're. Right. Put, yeah. It's, it's probably more complicated than I could. It is. I would need yeah. more info to see if it was a good. Or and that's the thing. thing. Pod, the podcasting realm is so very complicated. It's so new in how you listen, how you get listens, how you pay, how you get paid, are all things that are being worked out. Because, you know, we've never fucking been here before. Like, broadcast radio has not been available to creators and listeners in every fucking household. Like, anybody can just turn on and start a, a fucking radio show, you know? It's weird that we've gone so far into the future and now we're just fucking making radio shows. It's like the new thing, you know? It's but, w- Well, uh, when you think about, um, what's that uh, satellite radio, the big satellite radio company? Sh- uh, Shitbox. Pretty sure. Sirius Shitbox. Yeah. An XM Shitbox. An XM. Sirius and XM. They have shows that I'm sure 
were out there for free at some point that nobody was listening to. But once people realize they, once people start paying for a service, now they're like, I want to get something out of this. So yeah. they're listening to it. I feel like this might be part of Luminary's thing is people start paying some nominal fee, eight or nine bucks or 12 bucks a month or whatever. Now they're going to be like, what am I going to do to kind of bring down my dollar cost average right. of what I'm paying? And that's going to kind of force it. people to force themselves into right. getting And I think it. once they get, uh, they've, they've already got some, I think Mackle Rappaport has got his own show, a Luminary original show on there. So they've already got people geared up and doing Luminary shows. And I think what, they, what they'll do even instead of, they're going to create a lot of shows as time goes on. But I think what they're doing uh, a lot already is like, you've already got a show here. Now you're funded by us and now you're a Luminary original. Get out there, kid. Go ahead. So um, I'm very happy to see anything happening in the podcast world. I'm just super fucking pumped with any podcasting world stuff. And uh, so much so, I sent them a postcard. So I hope they enjoy that. Nice. uh, Shout out to Luminary and uh, greetings from Road Soda. I hope you enjoy the postcard. As you said, you have... I think. Let's. What is that? I do. So news. uh, Yes, it is news. I just took my kids yesterday to go see the number one movie in the universe, Avengers Endgame. Are you gonna? I thought. Are you gonna? The news story is. What is the news story? I put it up on our Twitter. Their opening weekend. It says Avengers. And this is a Variety news story from April twenty eighth. Avengers Endgame. So this is supposed to be like the final conclusion to this whole infinity war right i guess i guess comes from the guy that says that watched it (laughs) well i watched it but i mean yeah i don't know if it's going to be the end right but uh avengers endgame obliterates records with 1.2 billion dollar global debut debut now it's already like one of the top 40 something movies of of all time. time on its its first weekend weekend now but i looked at it and i said that's kind of weird because China. It says China generated an astounding 329 million of this over its five-day launch weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm not Chinese. No one's ever accused me of being a Chinese citizen, but I'm pretty sure the weekend is no, not no, five no, days long. No, no, so no, what no, the they fuck? They changed up the weekend for the Hulk, <laughs> is what they did. So no, now the weekend runs from Monday to Wednesday. But I mean, it is the opening weekend in America, so clearly they let it out in China a few days early, and the American box office has blown away what they expected. This movie is going to... It costs $400 million to make. It's got all these big names. Uh, do you know anything about the Infinity War? Did you see that? Well, the... Uh, I, I'm, the, the previous one? No. You don't know I didn't see the, I didn't see the previous one, but I'm, I'm aware of generally what's going on in the universe of Marvel shit. So can I... Would it be... Is that movie old enough that I could spoil the old I one? I wouldn't do it, just not for my sake, but just for people listening's sake. Okay, you're right. Because well, so, that is a serious one. The The Marvel stuff is like serious. Yeah, people yeah. really right. uh, love that shit. Yeah. You're right. Politics and, and sex or whatever. whatever. Uh, Don't fuck with the Marvel shit. Shut it off, honey. He's going to do it. He's fucking threatening to spoil it. And the oh, dog oh. dies. Uh, he's dead the whole time. All uh, I want to say <laughs> is these movies have so many. The, the bill is like... Stupid. Uh, like 22 of the biggest... Any of these movies... Any of these people could headline their own movie and make... Hundreds of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. and there's like 25 of them there. And they put them all. Yeah. The, yeah, and then you know, in these things, people live and die or whatever. There's actual real life contracts. Like, I'm not gonna fucking do this anymore. The, there was a lot of that shit that was, I feel, evident throughout the movie. And then the most amazing thing for me at the very end of the movie, not the actual movie itself, but the credits, was fucking amazing. How many 
fucking people made that thing are involved. They did this new credit thing that I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And and just to preface it, at the end of the day yesterday, they re- little, we reinvented the credits. My little brother came <laughs> over. We watched like Pet Cemetery from 1989, uh-huh. the Stephen King movie. The movie was over. The credits roll. It just rolled, and they sped it up for some reason. Mm-hmm. Eh, they didn't, you know, shit. you know how sometimes they like put it down and they show you the next thing. They didn't do that. This is the whole screen. It went. The credits took. I'm gonna say ten seconds tops. Mm-hmm. Avengers Endgame. My kid even said it because he was waiting. He wanted to watch for the very end to see if they were gonna do like a teaser. He said, "Dad, this is the second full song," and I was like, "No shit." The credits. So how they did it instead right. of just having. Sometimes they'll just do a straight list, right? Like for the stars or whatever. Then maybe they'll do like three lists, you know, a left list, a center list, and a right list. Right. They didn't have the fucking time for this. They had, it would say like this art studio, and it would list like the top guy, the second guy, and then the third and fourth guys would be on a row. Uh Then they just did art team, and it would say like Isaiah Cooper, Dot, Bob Johnson, Dot, Steve, dude, on a a fucking movie screen, it was a huge, huge brick of names, hundreds of names. Then it would go to the next studio, Takazani, whatever, Village Studio, a guy, guy, brick of names. That's, wow. And they, was, even with this new organization way of doing, this new organization, they still could not. If you go see Avengers Endgame, which I'm guessing some of the listeners were, because it said somewhere here that this weekend in America, four out of five movie tickets were to go see fucking Endgame. Dude, and let me... And, and they released it in over, the record, 4,662 movie theaters which is fucking insane. In some theaters, they said they're trying to get it around the clock so they can just keep pumping it. So like everybody get they in. Pull out all the Everybody stops. take a ticket, get in line, and you'll fucking just, you'll slowly walk through the theater as it plays on fucking loop. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, by the time you get from the front door to the back, you've seen it. That's Dude, funny. it is, uh, that is, that is insane. And you know, there was an article that came out years ago, I want to say like 2014, that was predicting the bankruptcy of movies. Movies of Hollywood. It would said it said here's the list of all the movies that are set to come out in 2015. Here's how much they made and here's how much they can generate if they all are like do super well. They're like this it, it is a fucking death sentence for how much movies are, are like how much these studios are putting out on movies and how much some of them are making back. Yeah. It's just it's scary. It's really scary. You makes you think like you have this one, which obviously makes its fucking shit back. Like they it spent what? in like a weekend. They spent four hundred million, which is a lot of money, I think, to spend on a submarine or a movie. Yeah. And then to make it's like what do you want a submarine or a movie? What else are you fucking talking about for four hundred million? Four hundred. Yeah, it's, it's and they've already made over a billion dollars, and it's. Sunday afternoon right. of the So first now the weekend. studio is like, all right, now we're going to pay off our fucking uh, shit movie debt that we lost over here. It's like, that movie, yeah, it made it back for every movie that, it t- and it took them 10 movies of building up to get to this one to finally make everyone fucking come out in droves to fucking see this. But every movie that it released around it is just, dude, people are quaking in their goddamn boots. Just, I don't know how. You know, it's got how much longer it's staying afloat. And they're probably keeping, you know, they're probably pulling money or, or borrowing money from somewhere else and just kicking the can down the fucking road, being like, oh, we're g- but we're going to release the, in- the end game and that's going to pay for it. It's like, I don't know, man. The check, check's in the mail, maybe. But then again, There's no maybe about this one. Maybe the check's in the, but yeah, we're saying check's in the mail, but then next year comes and all the fucking movies come out again. And then the next year comes. It's like, they're just going to keep finding ways to do it and, and until the it's Chinese. It's kind of cheating come, when you put all the movie stars in one movie. Is like it? they were like, let's put two. Let's try to put two movie stars in one movie. 
That's oh, that's just crazy. Did. No, and then the Expendables. That's what I was just gonna bring up. Said, let's take all the action stars and put them in a fucking movie, even though it'll be garbage. All the fans will come out at once, right? I don't know if they did or not. I don't think that movie did particularly well. Uh, now they, they went. There right, was like a, there was like good, three of them, wasn't there? There was Schwarzenegger, Stallone. No, I mean the Expendables. I think oh. there was like three of them. I think it, Expendables three. Dude, there was eight Police Academies. Okay, sequels do not necessarily. Oh, but that's different. Uh, that's different. <laughs> that's fucking Those different. were important. Those, Those were important were movies. <laughs> Police Academy four changed my fucking <laughs> life. All right. Those are, those are fucking great movies. So, one, the last news thing that came up here, uh, everybody loves a good scam. You know, I know that Mr. Uh, Greg does. So, the nil, new film that just came out about JT Leroy explore, expa, explores bizarre details of early 2000s literary scam. Greg, do you know about this? No. Are you interested about this? Sure. What was the scam? Tune in next time for them. Oh. <laughs> so the scam was this, um, let's see, J.T. Leroy's ostensible origin story was a publicist dream, a survivor of childhood physical and sexual abuse. He claimed to have been raised by a sex worker mother among the lot lizards. Love it. What's that slang for? Uh, prostitutes at truck stops, baby. Oh, that's what it says in the article. It literally has to fucking put... Everybody knows what a goddamn lot lizard is. I don't think everybody does. Your mom is a lot lizard. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and a Yeah, of course no one... Uh, nobody knows what a lot lizard was. Write into us. Tell if you if you know what a lot lizard is. Especially if you are a lot lizard. Let us know how things are going for you. Um, so, West Virginia before becoming a teenage street hustler. So here's the scam. It was this this guy's story, right? And he's a, uh, um, I think he was not necessarily trans. Yeah, he was uh, identified as transgender, but used the pronouns he and him. And uh, he encouraged to write by. He was encouraged to write by a supportive social worker. It's like a fucking movie. Leroy began sending semi autobiographical Southern Gothic accounts of his life of poverty, drug addiction, and sexual abuse to influential figures in the literary world, which eventually led to the publication of two books, Sarah and the Heart is Deceitful Above All Things, is one of them. Uh, Leroy was applauded as a literary star on the rise with celebrities like Courtney Love and Winona Ryder feting his talents and hosting readings of his work. The fact that he claimed to be a reclusive figure appearing in the public only in ratty, blonde wig, fedora, and dark sunglasses only fueled the interest. And you can see the picture up here. This is supposed to be him uh, in this fedora with the blonde wig. Like some kind of Carmen Sandiego motherfucker. Um, yeah, so that's what it was, right? So Carmen was, San Diego, that's where you're going with that picture? Like no. some type of what Carmen? Got? What do you got, Greg? I don't know, I was going to say, actually, <laughs> if you told me that that was like some actress, I would have believed that more. Look, she looks very... That's like, not, skin it's a like, he or oh. him, Greg. I know, but I'm saying from the picture, it looks like maybe like uh, Avril Lavigne? Uh, yeah. Dressed up like Johnny Depp with a... I would say a Carmen San Diego looking like... Or Carmen San Diego. <laughs> She's not even wearing red! <laughs> <laughs> um... So she, uh, so this is this is this was the thing, right? So that's the story, which is fucking brilliant, right? You have this um, person who is 
really down and out. It's like millions. Have you ever heard of uh, like millions of pieces? Million little pieces. Million little pieces. The guy that said and he's that an alcoholic fucking, and he's like dying. He fucking Oprah had him on the show. Yeah. And and then he's like, I was lying. It's like the same thing, dude. So the the person J T Leroy, right? Uh, is writing in and and the yeah they they are this, these works are incredible this is an amazing thing they turn into books they are movies comes out the guy doesn't even exist he doesn't even fucking exist and some lady and uh, that created him who's got some she which and 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 two it's actually like two ladies that created this person and it's like a cross between their lives like both of them have like you know some of the stories that he writes about happened within their lives and. Um, it's not to say that it isn't great works of literary. Who's art. the actual author? So the JT actual JT Leroy doesn't exist. JT Leroy doesn't work. Eventually revealed the truth. There was no JT Leroy. Rather, JT Leroy was a combination of two people. Laura Albert, so Laura Albert, I believe, is the writer and most of the creator, played in the new film by Lauren Brown, a 40 year old former punk rocker and phone sex operator. Shout out to our phone sex operators out there. We know how uh, we love them. Summer, Triple X particularly. Summer, you're great. We're going to have you on the show again. We're excited about you. Uh, operator who wrote all of Leroy's books and interacted with his admirers on the phone. And Savannah Noop, portrayed by Kristen Stewart. Oh, so that picture we're looking at is actually fucking Kristen Stewart. I was like, that's a very attractive... Like per- I thought. Do it was- you know who Kristen Stewart is? Yeah. Okay. She's like the actress from the Twilight movies. I have no idea who she is. Yeah. The hat. That's, that's her. The one I said looked like Avril Lavigne and Johnny Depp with the getup. The Carmen San Diego looking motherfucker. Yeah, yeah it's Kristen Stewart. Right. Just for the listener. <laughs> the half sibling. Um, so yeah, so Snoop uh, is the half sibling of Alberts, who appeared as JT in public. Albert and Noop worked together to convincingly play the character with Albert pretending to be JT's overbearing British handler. So, uh, does that make sense? So Albert, who's like the real creator, uh, Laura Albert is the real creator, didn't even play uh, Leroy. Like when they were in public, she played the handler and her friend played the actual person. Also, but Albert did all the communication. So if there had to be a phone conversation, it was Albert would phone would do the phone conversation because it came out later on. That was set up to fail pretty quickly. Of course, well they had no they had no foresight for how far it could go. They were like, ah, oh, this is something fun, and they kind of did this back and forth until it kind of just unwound. And that's what this movie is about. Like our like our friends from Pennsylvania with the four hundred thousand dollar homeless man gave exactly. him our last twenty dollars scam. They didn't the sign up for something the this GoFundMe. big. They yeah. signed up as a little weekend thing, and then they went, oh shit, Ooh, that's a lot of money. Oh, so Hold Court- on a second. Let's try and. Did you say Courtney Love is on the phone? Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. And then we got, and then uh, like a little silent. We need to figure this the fuck out and get right. some of this money. <laughs> we need to get to figure this out right the fuck now. Yeah. So and and it comes out later that this girl Laura, uh, Laura. So uh, what was it? Laura Albert is the one that is the real writer and creator. When she was a young, when she was a kid, when she was younger, she had a lot of these problems. Like I said, it was a combination of her life. She used to uh, sneak out. And call um, suicide hotlines, like on payphones. And when she would, she would play as a fake person. Like she would create a character, create a person. And then that's like something that she did that kind of helped her in some weird way. Like she, she had such a broken house and everything that was going on was so broken in her life that somehow this was did something for her. Like, she would create a character, she'd go call a suicide hotline and say, uh, this is it, I can't do it anymore, I'm dying. 
and um, because maybe nobody gave a shit about her in her house, and this suicide operator right. maybe actually was cared. reading a yeah. list of things and trying to be really attentive or whatever. Yeah, and and um, there was even a, a point where I think Albert was on the phone with somebody. It says it down later where Albert was actually on the phone with somebody and was lying to them, saying that she was on the way to the hospital and like was dying. It's like, but it was just obviously a, a throwback. Oh, uh, Asian Argenta, Asia Argenta, you know who that was? That's that was. She's a famous European director and also hu- uh, wife of the late Tony Bourdain. That's who he was major married to. Oh, okay. That's who he was with, and uh, Asia Argento actually had relations with. It like got so deep where I think uh, they actually had something there. They actually did something. So it was like the fake, and then she found out. Like I don't know. It's so we're gonna have to watch the movie to really get down to the to the nitty gritty of this. Because I read it, and I was like, I don't think I really understand what's going on. Are you telling me that Asian actually Laura and her, or or was it Sarah Noop playing J T Leroy? And you're like, yeah, you gotta go fuck Age Iron Dentist. You just gotta go do it. Like it must oh, have been right. It must have been. The person that was set up to be J.T. Leroy, that Asia Argento... Asia Argento's not going to fuck the handler. But, I know, but if she finds out... If she actually finds out who it is, and Laura's like, it's me. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm the one. And then they have their little uh, scissor contest or whatever the I'm fuck they I'm guessing, do. based on this whole situation, Asia Argento has dropped the Wait, handler. in real life... Oh, you're right, it is Noop. In real life, Noop and Argento did indeed have a sexual relationship while Noop was pretending to be J.T. Leroy. And another complicated and disturbing... Think point. about the difference, by the way, <laughs> just for a second. If Asia Argento waited until this whole thing blew up and went, wait, it's a fake thing? So wait, this person didn't have this... I'm, I'm going to go have sex with Laura Noop right now while she's about to fucking crash and burn. Mm-hmm. I want to attach my semi-celebrity Tony Bourdain's right. ex... Well, this was all previous, obviously, before this whole thing happened. This happened in 2006. So this all started and went on for years before. But it's a new story because they're making the movie now. Because the movie just came out. Okay. Yeah, this all happened way back in early uh, 2000s. So this was Asia Argento before she was with Tony Bourdain or while she was with... This was definitely before because... And it only lasted for about six years. It crashed, it burned... And now the story has kind of like simmered enough to now it's something that it's they're creating a movie about. So, yeah, this definitely all started back 2005, 2006, okay. ran for a few years, and then crashed and burned. So, here we are. Had you ever heard anything about it before? Never. Not, not even a little bit. I no. never did either. When you said literary scam, I was thinking of a movie that Melissa McCarthy just did, where she started... In, um, it's a movie that's just out right now. Have you seen this? Melissa McCarthy? It's like mm-hmm. a real movie. I think it's comedic in a certain aspect, but it's more like historical nonfiction, mm-hmm. where she started, um, what do you call it, counterfeiting letters from writers, mm-hmm. and then like fucking, you know, making a look, and she was like, look at this, I found this in my garage. They're like, holy shit, that's a letter from Norman Mailer from 1964 to whatever. Like, oh shit. And she was like, they really is that worth money? That. And they were like, I'll give you five grand right now. And she was like... Okay, she was like a failing writer, mm-hmm. and then made that her thing, and she started fucking counterfeiting all these fucking letters. Genius. That was like, like I just it's based on a real person. I don't know how real that was, but when you said literary, I went. Oh, you think that? I was like, oh, I'm ready, motherfucker. I'm informed. I know exactly what you're talking about. Then you brought this shit out, and I was like, I have no idea. Yeah, I had no idea what this was either. But I know, you know, if there's anybody that loves a good scam, it's old Mister McGannis. Fucking hate those scams. This episode is brought to you by 
Mr. Oxy's Dr. Lean. Hey kids, do you like to get crunk? Of course you do. Drink Mr. Oxy's Dr. Lean, the light and refreshing beverage that is just what the doctor ordered. Find out what makes all your friends cooler than you and grab a can of Mr. Oxy's Dr. Lean. Packed with real sugar, artificial flavoring, and a kick that is sure to knock you out. Five out of five doctors swear by the great taste of Mr. Oxy's Dr. Lean. And why wouldn't they? It has three times the FDA's recommended daily serving of opiates. Drink a Mr. Oxy's Dr. Lean today. A Popco brand. Millennial Book Club. Millennial Book Club. Millennial Book Club. Millennial Book Nug. Hey, there's a new one. Greg, this Millennial Book Club is, as always, just fucking watching Netflix. We choose a Netflix original to be watched. You watch it, you send your reviews, you send your thoughts, and then you come back the next episode and we all talk about it. And this one was... Homecoming. Beyonce's Homecoming. Greg, I can only hope that you love this as much as I, I, I weeped, I laughed, I... I, I, I <laughs> what wasn't there with Beyonce's Homecoming? How'd you like that, Greg? I mean, a lot of people, I think, expressed surprise that this was what we picked for a Millennial Book Club. Cause it's and by of... a lot of people, Jeff and Nelly, so there you go. Well, no, we got, we got people that said that... Uh, you know, they were surprised that that's what we picked, and um, it was a weird pick, I guess. You know, we're trying to expand. We're trying to keep things, keep the range open. I mean, I like Beyonce. I, I'm not, like, a huge fan of her music, but I, I get the whole point, and I do think... Well, so, in looking at it, it was much more serious than I thought it was, yeah, than I thought it was going to be. So, what did you think it was? I just thought it was going to be, like, a concert movie, basically. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit more than that. She was trying to make a social statement. And I, I could be... I'm totally down with that. I get it. I think the gist was black women are a very underrepresented group in America. Mm -hmm. As far... Which they are. It's women already underrepresented. Women already... Black, black people already underrepresented. You put the two together and now you have a new hybrid of super upper un, unrepresented folks. I, I think she's, it's totally right. Like, some of the stops that were happening in the concert footage... Because, I mean, let's face it, it mostly was a concert video, but a two-day thing she did last year at Coachella. Mm -hmm. I kind of liked how they switched it. Like, one of the one of the nights, everybody was in yellow. One of the nights, everyone was in pink. Yeah. And they would switch, like, mid-beat back and forth with the pink and the mm -hmm. yellow. I think they there was uh, maybe symbolism for her twins... In the two different colors that they were using. Because she was supposed to do Coachella 2017. That's what the whole thing even came from. She was supposed to do Coachella 2017. And then uh, got pregnant with twins. And couldn't do it. So this is this was a documentation of her uh, journey to Coachella 2018. Well, and then most of the performers and a lot of the subject matter had to do with... Or, or pulled from people at historically black colleges, right? Like Southern, Grambling. I mean, Spalding. It's not Spalding, was it? Spelman? Spelman? Hillman? I think it's Spelman. Okay, maybe Hillman's what they called it on the Cosby show. 
Yeah, maybe that's there was the, there was one of them that that specifically that uh, I remember specifically because it, the lady that said it had the same uh, last name as my mother's maiden name Edelman. It was you can't be something if you can't see it. Was the quote? Okay. Basically saying you have to be able to envision your dreams in order to uh, get to it, which I thought was a really funny quote because as soon as that was the quote, and then the next, the very next like lines where they were interviewing this girl that she's like I could never see myself doing this I can't believe I'm here I'm like, that's like what are you talking like dude what are you doing but um that is uh I like that it's a good quote though um, you know I, I do I like what she did there though I mean she brought because that that is kind of fundamental to what what the whole thing was about these historically black colleges are just down and the, doing their own little thing and people that are looking for it that already know it are are seeing it, but it's not something that translates to the overall population. These southern small colleges just do their own thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like extremely different, but they got their own thing. Yeah. Like the like the drumline thing is a big deal, and some of the other aspects of the performance were much more, uh, you know, centered around something that is not mainstream. Yeah, I like the way that she did it. It was really fun. It was cool to see how she made it like a like a homecoming kind of event with like the marching band and bringing the kids in and everything it was it was a really fucking cool show it was weird because as soon as it started i was waiting for like the documentary aspect of it to start i'm like all right oh here we go for a while where it's just a straight up concert (laughs) just a concert and then i so i'm gonna be completely honest and i did like anytime the concert thing started i just fast forward until it got to a part where they were talking i know that if you're watching it because it once she you know they do the the like the documentary aspect where they're showing the the rehearsals and they got her narration, uh, Beyonce's narration and everything. And then all of a sudden it starts in with like the song. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of like, uh, uh, there's a lot that comes with that and it makes it more impactful. But I just, I wasn't into watching a... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm totally with you. Like a concert video, yeah. a concert is something to be in and you can get swept up in it and sucked into it. But when you're watching it on a screen, yeah. it's definitely Unless it was somebody thing. that I really, really like, like Motley Crue or something, like you really like. Right, then, if it was then Motley Crue, then yeah. Then I would watch the whole thing, but otherwise... No, it's... but I, I do like Beyonce, and I, you know, it's it befuddles me sometimes, because it's not something I'm dealing with regularly, the shit she's dealing with, which is she wants to empower black women. Women have the kids. I mm-hmm. just actually put an article on my LinkedIn about how the power couples now are kind of running into this thing where they, they both can't work 100 hours a week. Like the lawyers and the consultants and the, you know, the power play people, they both, like a guy and a girl, we're talking like wealthy family, they both want to be lawyers, for example. Mm-hmm. They both can't work 80 hours a week and have kids. So they either don't have kids, or if they do have kids, the kids get raised by someone else. And you know... By Esmeralda. By Esmeralda. But now there's a movement for... I think it's more and more realistic attitudes are coming into even that type of situation where they're like, we can't, in good conscience, just let someone raise our kids. Yeah, what the fuck's the point of having a kid then? So they're finding that they did the study on women with high education levels that are dropping down. Their pay scale is dropping because it's not like, you know, they're both making two hundred grand a year and she's just working 20 hours. If you're not working 65 hours a week, you're not working that fucking right. job. You're making... Other money doing something else. And there mm-hmm. are jobs in law that you don't have to work 100 hours a week, but they're much less paying jobs. Mm-hmm. And a lot more women are doing that because women have the babies and tend to have that extra layer of connection to the babies. Mm-hmm. And so you're running into all these women that spend all this money to go to law school and are 
frustrated because they're and, not yeah. working and making anywhere near what the, the one of the husbands said something that I was like yeah that's so true he was like I'm finding that you know you can work 50 hours a week and make a certain amount of money if you work 70 hours a week you're not making like an extra whatever percent you're making like double right because you're that guy that's like I'm fucking there mm-hmm. on Sunday night when the partners are like having their beer at the end of the week to wrap something up you're there for that and they're like yeah you know what Henderson needs to be in on this and he's going on the fucking thing and he's doing and you just you know what I mean you're just there all the time so you're gonna make way more money right and so but now how does this apply to what we're talking about here that's just for like rich white women regular white women are dealing with the same exact thing black women are dealing with the same thing broke ass women white and black are dealing with a very similar thing and there's so many there's so many women that are just not able to make right. a reasonable amount of money and I think it's, it's really a uh, it's a very incon- not inconvenient but um, kind of sad thing that women are told or sort of led to believe that in a way that uh, um, having having and raising kids is not as like fulfilling or as as good for your not how do I want to put this it's it's almost um, see I hear that sometimes I don't think anybody thinks that I feel like it's the other way is that there's so much value put on you're killing it at a job and bringing in money mm-hmm. and Beyonce does that that's kind of where I was going with this. She's always like, I got my ring, I got my own shit. Half of her songs are like, I don't need you, I got my own shit. Okay, but I mean, I really feel like the battle right now for women is, like you said, to recognize it is totally fulfilling to just be a mom. Right. Not to just be a mom. I mean, it's not like a... But to not be but in see, the work even world. you're putting up like the air quotes and everything. That's why there is there is this notion... No, because I'm saying it's not just being a mom. That's right. kind of how people do look at it. And that's what I'm talking about. Is It's really shitty that people look at it as just being a mom. Oh, you're not a power player. You're just a mom. You're not... Right. It's, it's, there's so much more value, just as much value as is being the CEO of a Fortune 500 as it is like being a good fucking mother. Like Both of those things have the just as much value. And... Uh, whether if you're putting value as like a dollar sign or value as like just what your your fulfillment in life is, like that is very fulfilling in life. I think there needs to be more of like a focus on when it comes to to the balance of these people that are both at a, like you both at, at very high levels of of functionality. I think that, you know just knowing that it's more of like a team. Like not everyone's a fucking quarterback on the team. There's a quarterback and then there's the fucking running back. Everyone's got their their parts and their positions, but it's like people are are getting confused when it comes to couples that they're both you're both not fucking quarterbacks. Like one's a quarterback, one's doing this. You've got different fucking one's things to do. One's an assistant quarterback. We can agree on that. Yeah, I guess uh, you know, he plays when I'm out and it's like you know what I mean though. It's like it's, it's if it's functioning as a team and both of your roles are as equally as fucking important because if one of you wasn't there then the whole fucking thing wouldn't work. So but it's like there's this weird thing that um, there's this idea that uh, uh, and it's not to say that there if there's are there are plenty of women that choose to uh, um, that choose uh, a life of you know business and whatnot and that is that's what they find fulfilling and that's that's great. It's your choice to I have do a hard everything. Time. I have a hard time believing, though, that anybody can... And I know it happens, I suppose, but I have a hard time believing that people can have fulfilling lives without some interaction with offspring. Yeah. I have a hard it, time with that. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I just feel like that's I think one of the most I think basic things. That's what we're fucking I think there's for. something... Uh, the people that do find it fulfilling without offspring are the people that there's... I don't want to say wrong, but there is something different. There's something different uh, than in them 
uh, that's, uh, I don't want to say off or wrong or anything, there's just something that's completely different in them. Because it's almost like they find their work to be their child. And it's... It just seems very right. empty, and I feel like there's always going to be in that type we'll of life. We'll never get it. We'll never get it. At some point, there's going to be like a "God damn it, I wasted my life" type of moment. Because maybe I, because I think everybody recognizes to a certain extent that like service is such an important part of service to others is such mm-hmm. an important part of what will make you happy. And there's no bigger fucking service to someone else than raising their fucking ass. Mm-hmm. And that's it's such a big, important aspect I think of personal growth to understand your place in the world to understand why you're here to understand who you are by channeling so much of yourself through someone else mm-hmm. that without having kids i guess i know it's a like a thing that people are choosing like oh it's we're just not going to have kids we're we've we're got the Netflix, dinks. we've got the surround sound uh, all of our yeah dinks there you the go dinks double income no kids and um, it just i don't know i have a, such a hard time with it i'd love to hear if there are any dinks out there that want to say anything about you know what am I missing? Because I'd love to know. What it's I'm... the same thing, like you know the the bachelor guy that's not married is is saying like every See, both that's a lonely motherfucker. They're both they're both disparaged in their own way. They're gonna outwardly you know express and then but then there are people that are genuinely just. It's not even the loneliness thing though because right I'm, I'm married close in on twenty years here soon, and loneliness is not you're not like free from loneliness because you got a fucking ring on. Mm-hmm. You get married and the kids become a thing. I can't imagine people that have like four or five kids. How much physical dislocation of your own everything mm-hmm. is happening when you have that many kids? I just have two. And, and I'm the dad. That's what I kind of wanted to circle back oh, to. okay. That, is that you're talking about this teen thing in, in the right, 50s. Greg's the dad, guys. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. We know there's a role. There's a dad and a mom role. Greg's not the mom role. Think about it. If a guy is like really good about being... A parent, they call him Mr. Mom. Yeah. They don't find this this woman and say, wow, she's like a great dad. It doesn't work like that. You're either a, a mom, a good mom or bad mom. If you're a dad, if you're a really good dad, it's like, hey, you're like the mother in this you're situation. You're such a good dad, you're now mom. You've exactly. risen up to mom level. Exactly. And I, I'll tell you right now, there is such a distinction in the actual dad-mom thing. Dad has his role. Yeah. Mom's role is like everything else. Mm-hmm. Even sometimes... You know, getting on dad's ass about all this bullshit. You yeah. Know what I mean? It's like a fucking old, regular... It's, it's just how fucking things work. So w- you're talking about this team thing with a man and a woman right. being married or whatever mm-hmm. and raising the kid together. It, so many times it's happening separately. So that team thing is, is harder for people to envision. But when you hear about a single mom, like when people get married and they have kids and they break up. Let's say there's a, a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. They break up. You, We all imagine the woman... It's going to have a hell of a hard time. She's going to be spending a lot more time having to raise these kids. And the dad's going to be like, well, I got my every other weekend free. Right. That's like a much bigger perception. And I think it happens like that a lot of times because there is a dad role and there is a mom role. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you have to stick with those roles, but they're just, they're kind of there. It's not even a social construct. I do really feel like biologically, because the baby comes out of the woman, mm-hmm. there's that extra level of connectedness. And of course. Yeah, yeah. It's no, there's no, there's not even. A, it's like it just bums me out sometimes when people want to do this men and women are equal thing. I mean, I think I'm, it, I'm not saying they should equal in value. We're equal in value. We're equal in, but that's I think that's the vision, and that's what people have to really separate. So then they're like, why can't women be lawyers and running shit and da da? And it's like they can. Well, the two things that I'm thinking about, I just kind of expressed were, how are you going to live a life 
I, for me, I have a hard time imagining you're going to live a fulfilled life without any involvement with kids. As a woman, that means there's going to be a large chunk of your life where you're going to have a kid and have this connection that's deeper than any bullshit that's going to involve computers or meetings or, or fucking, fucking whatever. Fortune 500, yeah. So when I hear like a woman runs a company or whatever, I'm like, well, that's great. This episode of Road Soda is brought to you by Aphrodite Squirt. Aphrodite Squirt, the world's best shampoo. But don't call it shampoo. Seriously, the shampoo board has taken issue with some of our claims. They don't have the balls to mix up such a potent cocktail for your hair. Aphrodite Squirt will make your hair so lustrous, he'll want to fuck it. And with all that added volume, he can. We farm purebred albino Himalayan dwarf hamsters. And they only eat the finest tobacco and caviar. We harvest their raw essence and Scandinavian rodent saunas. That is just one of the many ingredients that will make you better than everyone. Aphrodite Squirt. It, it will, will change your fucking life. A Popco brand. I hope she doesn't have kids. Because there's some fucking it's kids really, out there. There's, there's a couple of fucking kids Four out there. second... Or shooting heroin up at, at in third grade, and that <laughs> shit happens. Yeah, and that shit happens with dads too. Uh, but I feel like it's such a bigger deal. Like if you don't, I don't know. Because dad, I mean, even since the dawn of time, dads dads are replaceable. Dads are in and out. Dads come and go. That's that's the dawn of time. It's the mom, and every even not just with humans, but with like and like a lot of other animals. It's the mom that's gotta be there so when the mom is got two kids as in she's got her kids and her fucking company that she's running it's which one some something's hurting something's hurting in there and uh it's probably the kids you'd hope you'd, you'd hope it's the company but oh, it's the company but they're like super successes because they're working 100 you can, hours you a can week. actually there's a scale that you can actually gauge the success of a company run by women by uh the the greater the success, the the worse off her kids are. <laughs> I mean, it almost that's something that we think of. Like a, a thing I just saw was, uh, what's the two women sitting back to back at computers, and one of them said, "What's the difference between aggressive and assertive?" Mm-hmm. And the other lady says, "Your gender." And it's like you know that is true. When you see a woman that is all about climbing the ladder and, mm-hmm. and doing well or whatever, especially if she has kids, because we all think it's a zero sum game. You, something's winning, the company or the kids are winning or losing, right. you see them excelling at work and you're like, don't you even give a shit about your kids? Like a but base to be level, honest, that's what you, you think. know, there could be, and that's what you're thinking. And to be honest, you know, there are people, there could be people where the dad's at home. The dad is the guy at home and he's taking care of the kids and the roles are just, and if that's the way they Does function, that seem fair to you for the kids that, that they have dad? They got the backup? What do you mean the backup? It's if they're not breastfeeding anymore. If you're if it's the biological, it's not dad? breastfeeding that we're talking about. It's the level of, it's the level of, a dad, a really good dad, is trying his hardest to be a mom. Basically, right? Mom doesn't have to try. She's fucking mom. She doesn't have to try. It's happening. <laughs> the dad comes in. It's just the way it he's works. Got the man. tits under his shirt. He's like, come on. I'm reading the book. It says <laughs> I'm supposed to gentle, gently. Come on, you want to raise the voice? I'll put the <laughs> I'm not saying you gotta become Mrs. Doubtfire. I'm just saying even a good, really good stay-at-home dad is not a mom. Period. So if the, if that's the way it went, mom's the one going to work and dad's home. The kids are getting screwed, in my opinion, mm-hmm. at some level. Like I, for example, my sister is one of these people that has a hard time. She's got four kids, excellent mother, 
And she also does really well at work. But she's like fucking maniacal. She runs herself ragged because she wants to be the mom. And she's hearing this fucking, you can have it all and you can break the glass ceiling and be fucking super mom. And I just, I think it's just fucking going to put her in an early grave mm-hmm. is what I think. It's just really difficult because it's like, you gotta, there's shit. a balance. There's a balance out there. And I, and it's so often that people are missing the mark with that balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, but it's dual. I mean, yeah, it, so there's just nothing to get back to it is I don't have any problem with women being in high power mm-hmm. jobs or whatever. There's fucking nothing wrong well, I'm going to be let it known. I do. I do, Greg. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right? It's like, them. I don't care. Who knows? I don't I'm with women. I don't but I've got no, but a I fucking problem. There was a but, though. There was a but. And that's, I don't have any problem with women being in any of these fucking positions, but child-rearing in a life is a big setback mm-hmm. in, the, in that arena. Mm-hmm. And so you're giving that up. And now, this woman that's in this, let's say there's a woman president, mm-hmm. right? Which we'll have at some point. I think we really came close with Hillary. You've got... Dodge that bullet, guys. To be that to be that <laughs> successful takes so much time and push. And you had kids; they definitely lost. Mm-hmm. They definitely could have got a better. Because you're like this lady that's presidential. Imagine if you put that into your kids. You know, but something had to be taken. There's no way she's the best mom in the world and gonna be the president. What about Oprah? Oh yeah, she didn't have any kids. Maybe there are some kids that have to get screwed. Because the lady wanted to have the kids. <laughs> hey, and there's just some... Look, you want a woman president? There's just a couple kids that are going to have to get screwed. Well, I mean... That's the bottom line. That's what we've been saying, right? Any successful woman that has kids... You know, uh, there's a like lot of people that would the kids argue that two white, cisgendered males sitting in front of a microphone in the whitest part of Sarasota, Florida have no place having any I of don't, this conversation. Fuck that shit. Fuck that shit. <laughs> We're fucking participants. We have fucking something. I put my ding dong in that. You know, I gotta I gotta say. Nope. I'm not gonna fucking invalidate my, uh, my fucking role in it. I mean, we have just as much right to fucking discuss this shit. And... I do, like I said, in, in areas where I feel like I have no idea, like when we're talking about Beyonce's message, which has always been confusing to me because, again, the songs are all about... Uh, power. It's about women, no, uh, women empowerment. All, well, but in which ways, though, right? Some of the songs are like, I love my man, I want to be f- with my man. Other ones are like, I, you know, get the fuck out of yeah, here. Yeah, I, I love him, I want to be with him, but at the same time, I don't need his ass. If he wasn't here, I'm a powerful woman with or without him. There's a lot of the songs that are uh, that downhill... We're independent. We're powerful message. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I, I guess... So she's trying to help uh, black women. And not just black to eat women either. It's just all women. In well, all right. But just with this women. with this particular... The it's, homecoming yeah, thing... It's really pointed towards... Yeah, yeah. It was really pointed out that black women are a very underserved population. And uh, I don't think anyone can disagree with that. Because yeah. I feel like... See, now this is immediately where I'm like, I totally feel like I'm out of my arena because I am... You're out of your fucking element, Greg! Yeah, but I mean, men and women issues, I can fucking talk about that. I don't give a shit. When it comes to race stuff, I come from fucking suburban Massachusetts. My school was like 103% white. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. All my racial questions have come from like fucking movies and stuff. I watched the Jeffersons. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's... and, And the whole... I re- you know kind of pointing back towards the documentary itself. It is, it's a good documentary, and um, it's more of a concert video. Eighty twenty concert. Eighty twenty, yeah, because you know if you really take all that out and you boil it down and what what you're watching, but it's a, it's interesting. You know, you're seeing her talk about uh, her her struggle with she had 
twins, so she was supposed to do this Coachella thing. She had twins. She said she weighed 218 pounds when she gave birth, which is fucking insane. And then you see her ass on stage like a year later. What do you think her stand, her fighting weight is? Like 170? Ah, oh, dude, I don't know. I don't know how tall she is. She's pretty. I don't tall. know what her, I don't know what her reach is. You know, I gotta have to. I'd have to get in there and size her up. But she's. I mean, she because in in the documentary you see her get into her old costume. She's like, I'm in my old costume. Yeah. You know? Whatever it is, it's still a lot of weight. She talks about all the. She's like, I've. <laughs> she starts talking about. I bet all you the her shit. fighting weight is like 170, 175. You think? Yeah. She's, she's she's tall and she's you know she's got some beefy. She's not like one of these little. She's, skinny she's not a skinny mini, but I don't know if it's one a buck seventy. Uh, that that she would have to be like six foot to be a buck seventy. Mm. A lot of junk in that trunk, man. There's a lot of junk in Even that trunk. Even when everything gets all trimmed down the way she wants. Dude. Yeah, she... In my dreams, it's, she's that between is 160 the work and 170. That she had to fucking put in to lose two double baby weight, you know? Right before she was talking about that outfit she got into, she was talking to like, no bread, no carbs, no sugar, no... She just starts going Nothing. out. She's like, no meat, no dairy. I'm like, what the fuck are you eating? Yeah, I know. <laughs> She's, dust. I could eat as much dust as I want. <laughs> I could just have a whole plate of dust. <laughs> and it, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Probably a bunch but of she fucking, But she did it. Ah, no, she's breastfeeding. She's not doing that. So there's there's no way, and you know she's breastfeeding because it's the best and fastest way for any woman to lose weight when they're after they uh, give birth is to breastfeed. So you, I guarantee you, she's if she's not actually got the kid on the kid's face on her. She was saying even in the video, if you don't think she's breastfeeding, she did say she'd go into the trailer and breastfeed her kid and come back out. But um, she uh, whether she was pumping or whatever, it is yeah. Women breastfeeding, they, I can't remember they calculate how many calories a woman burns while breastfeeding. It's fucking stupid, dude. Your body's just putting Maybe I should all... look into that. You can, you know, if you uh, stimulate the nipple enough, Greg, and uh, eat enough soybeans, I've heard you can get something happening there. <laughs> There's so, a couple of lucky kids in the Sarasota area. If I can get this going. That's right. We should open up a clinic. Man, dad milk. All right. We got to work on that name. <laughs> So uh, we have. Um, I would. I don't know how to, how to how to rate it. I mean, it was. It's a. If I'm looking at it completely objectively, it's just so far outside my wheelhouse of entertainment that like. I, not, I would build a bike and then ride it to a, a place and before you know watching was this it a thing? because it's just so outside my energy. But if I'm watching it as a even the way it was shot as a documentary, it was like what was she going for? I know she's like super meticulous about everything she does there was a there was a scene where they you have her going over notes and talking about how there's always well he's got to be working harder doing this stuff so i know whatever hand she had in this documentary it was similar so i know whatever the vision is and what she's going for but it was weird like it almost looked like horror filmish at some points like in the way they had her audio going and like it would be old like eight uh um what is it called uh uh Eight super eight be like old super eight footage of something, and then it would kind of like be grainy and distorted, and you hear like talking in the background and kind of be distorted. And sometimes the imagery and all of it going together was kind of weird. I was like, what, what exactly is the angle we're going for? Like, I get the home video look and whatnot, but um, that's kind of how I took it. Yeah. The home video to show, yeah, she's been doing it for a long time and trying and I, to get to this point. And I think the the major thrust of the documentary was just to showcase that two-day thing she did in Coachella because a big portion of that production had the historically black college uh, 
cast. Yeah. So that was a big part of it. Just put that on so people can see. She's got this drum line and all the things that all those things that she was doing that I didn't really relate to all that much either. Mm-hmm. But I get that that's what she was trying to show is that it ain't all about Hollywood. Like what are they? What's going to compete with the Avengers? This is what I want to fucking do. Look at this. I got my yeah. clout. This is where I want to direct it. And then in the margins, every 20 minutes or so, a five-minute thing with like a Maya Angelou quote or some black yeah. empowerment stuff or just... Tony Morris. Just to kind of sh- remind you again that you're not just watching a Beyonce concert. So I, I thought it was pretty straightforward. It is. I, yeah. I just mean as like the tone or the, the way it looked was kind of... It was just... It was... There was... If I was able to go through and be like, what... A, it's just a weird choices I felt like they were making... With some of the, I, I wasn't super comfortable with it either, just because, like I said, yeah. it's not something I would normally sit down and watch. But yeah. I was kind of happy by the time, like by the time I was about halfway through it, I said, "I'm happy that we picked this one." We, I, it was probably ironic at first, but then we said, "No, let's just try something outside of the way outside the wheelhouse." Way outside the wheelhouse, mm-hmm. and I'm glad we did because I feel good that in our little way here, we're trying to propagate something mm-hmm. that is trying to help out. I think really it's a disenfranchised like, group in in America. Exactly, exactly. And any time it's a mom, whatever. That's just so important to me all the time because whatever you say about an adult, with people that have kids, the kids have no fucking say. They just popped out of a hole and they're trying to figure it out. And anything you can do to fucking help mm-hmm. bad parenting shit not hurt kids that are going to grow up and be fuck-ups, mm-hmm. I'm all for it. It's a I'm big deal for, for me. Yeah. And I really, the, yeah, it is a it is an incredible message, The like the women empowerment and an even better person to be doing it. Like Beyonce is a fucking... She's a dynamo, baby. A dynamo. I, I, she's fucking great, man. She's balls to the wall 100% of the time. She's she's the everything. She's got the kids in the trailer, and she's putting on, like, she's the first African-American lady to headline Coachella. And um, it was just fucking awesome. She's, she's a dynamo. But uh, how would I rate it as a... On my scale, I'd say go ride a bike. But if if I had to like recommend it or put it up or like classify it as like a good message thing, a good thing, it's like it's fucking great. But I'm just not super. I, I don't, you know. Come on, what do you fucking want from me? <laughs> right. What do you want from me? I think yeah. there are people that I'd recommend it to. I'd talk to people. Hey, I watch that. That's pretty cool. But it's and it's great. It's got a great message. As a couple of white guys, we've checked a box now, so we're at a little buffet, and someone says, and we go, "Oh, I'm sorry." Did someone say cultural diversity? I watched Homecoming. Did you watch Homecoming? On my own. <laughs> you haven't seen it. <laughs> Figures. Figures. You would, you cis white gendered you piece of shit. cis white. <laughs> <laughs> so, that brings us to our next... Something right in our wheelhouse. Right in our wheelhouse. Greg's wheelhouse, more specifically. Uh, we both opened up our Netflix apps on our phone. We were discussing what we were going to choose next. We try and let Netflix organically guide us at the moment. We fly by the seat of our pants. Our um, non-binary, uh, all-inclusive, a uh, bottom, I was, bottom attire. Wait, I was thinking that watching Homecoming is going to maybe open the door to our queue a little bit where they're going to go, oh, okay, they're not total cis white. Uh, uncaring guys so, so now, now it's like now they're gonna what put Jason Statham in a wig I feel <laughs> like we're like five NBC's away from you wearing a daishiki is what I think what is a daishiki a daishiki is like that African garb uh, like oh the, okay the man dressed thing you know alright I get it He there was a lot might of pantomiming as he acted like he was putting the might whole... be the hat too <laughs> the hat uh, so what we are watching on this next one is bonding 
It's a show. This is not a movie or anything. It's brand new. So we don't even have any... There's no... Um, what's the word? Uh, uh, rating. Ra- not rating. There's no, like, what are matching there's no matching percentage yet for it because it's so new it's too new um but this is a new york city grad student moonlighting as a dominatrix enlists her gay best friend for life from high school to be her assistant sounds uh sounds a lot like what i used to do in high school or grad school anyway uh that was a (laughs) so that's what we're going to be watching is bonding and That'll be it'll be pretty entertaining. It looks like I remember when yesterday when uh, we said we were gonna do it. You said I hope this is a comedy, and I said, <laughs> said Greg, I don't think it can be anything else. Um, it definitely uh, seems as if it is. Uh, it is a comedy. I'm laughing like, whether it is or not, so it's gonna right. be awkward. That's all because I'm gonna watch it with my kids. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And it's if got... I start laughing and there's only inappropriate areas to be laughing, it's gonna get awkward. It's gonna get awkward with. The cast of Zoe Levin, Brendan Scannell, and Micah Stock. I uh, don't know any of those folks, but we'll know them by the next episode. So go ahead and watch that. And also, uh, we have a fun little thing. Um, so to, to bring up Jeff and Nelly again, because you know they are our number one listeners on this show. They're always on the show. They wrote in a little. Uh, they wrote in a, a little a little tidbit on i think it was the last one so it was jeff and nelly i think it was the nelly half of jeff and nelly she sent in a message it was just talking about cocaine cowboys she watched cocaine cowboys cocaine she, island legend of yeah cocaine she, island. sorry legend of cocaine island and she uh, likened it to cocaine cowboys that's why I was, I was reading it she said i'm always interested in florida fuckery and thought it was shot really interestingly with the reenactments it's cocaine cowboys meets american vandal and because she Wrote into us, she is the first. Actually, Jeff and Nelly, they come as a pair. They're they're a duo, almost like Greg and Isaiah here on uh, Road Soda. Equal but different. Equal but different. It's what happens. And we are sending them the first millennial book club postcard. So anybody can get a postcard, a listener appreciation postcard for free from us. All you have to do is send us your mailing address to roadsodamail at gmail.com. But... There's also another postcard, a special postcard that you get, and um, you can only get that by giving us a few words or thoughts about how you feel about whatever the Millennial Book Club thing is, and once you do that, then you get your a second postcard. Folks, you're going to want these postcards. It gets It's like being in a secret club. It's like being in a road soda secret club. We've sent out a good amount of these postcards, and have you're going to want one of these postcards. You're They're kick-ass these... looking postcards, too, just as... Art themselves, and not pretty yeah. fucking cool. We, and not we can't just thank Chuck, Charlie Mac, nineteen twelve at gmail.com and brother Chuck enough. They are pretty sweet. Yeah, the Millennial Book Club ones and just the regular ones. So if you guys want these postcards, but I'm telling you right now, you're gonna want these postcards. Don't look at that. All right, everybody. <laughs> so watch bonding on the next one. <laughs> Hi, Sammy Mays here with Mega Screen Scrub. My cousin Billy loved to talk on his phone and that's what killed him. Cell phone grime. 
It should have been his brother Percy, that piece of shit. Mega Screen Scrub is the only grime-fighting product that harnesses the cleaning power of Norwegian algae. Think there are a lot of germs on a hobo's asshole? Of course there are, but right now your cell phone screen has five times more grime. So if you want to keep using your face as a subway seat, have at it. But if you want a mega clean cell phone and to not die like my cousin, Mega Screen Scrub is the answer. My name is David Potter. I tried a lot of different products before this one, and my life totally sucked. But then I came across this one, and I am so happy, I literally cream in my jeans on a regular basis now. But wait, there's more! If you order now, we'll send you an extra month's supply free. Mega Screen Scrub, a Popco brand. All right, so there's a book that I've talked to you about several times before. I've talked to a lot of people about it. It's a book called Infinite Jest. Yes. David Foster Wallace, one of these books of our times. This is a very interesting thing that many times have you mentioned it on the po on the podcast since, we since we've been doing this. You've mentioned David Foster Wallace, Infinite Jest. Ah, it's like my favorite book. I you know I read it all the time. You should read it. Never once have we ever, have you ever explained it to me? Have you ever talked to about, talked to about it? to me or anything. So I'm very excited to see what you're talking about. I'm so what, glad what they said that. This so this, and, and now this is a big book and we'll get into some of the details, but I want, I kind of see this segment as kind of like a part one with maybe another part coming up down the road or something. I don't know. It's just a teaser, but this is not going to cover the whole book. I'm hoping you couldn't. The thing is what? 56 hours. If you read it, it's, it's a <laughs> lot. It's a lot. So I, I truly feel that this one book best captures some of the most important things happening in America like in our world, in our time right now. That's why I love it so much. It's not because I love fucking horses or I went to this fucking place. It is it is fucking beautiful talking about right fuck now. Mm -hmm. There's no literature that I know of that does anywhere near a good a job of describing right now. Sometimes you can go, well, Charles Dickens did such a good job of describing that period in the 1800s. You can extrapolate to now, which can happen. There's a lot of great literature that does that, but he is talking about right now, mm -hmm. and it's really kind of amazing. So many things strike a chord. I and can't. What imagine. year was he? Did, the, did he write? He this wrote out? this in 1996. Okay. And it's set in the not too distant future. He makes some technological prophecies. Some of them takes a little liberty with where he points yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and and that's another amazing part of the book is that he was not a guy that he wrote this book before ever even going on the internet, which was kind of in his infancy in some ways. Mm -hmm. But he was super fucking knowledgeable about like what was happening and where it was going to go and what putting all this information in people's hands was going to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think the greatest books always take some time to sink into the culture. And usually it's long after the author's dead before enough time has passed for kind of just the overall culture to absorb it and to see the commentary and to see that, hey, that guy wrote that 25 years ago and look at how fucking accurate it was. Mm -hmm. Then... There's like this reverberation, this backdraft into the book, and then it starts, you know, and it's like a an iteration of people saying, "Look at this, this came true," and he's gone, so people can look at it. Uh, you know, he actually is gone, but I'm saying usually a book comes out and it takes a long time. And I liken this book a lot to Moby Dick, which is one of those books which it was about a time, and it was about humanity a long time ago, and it still has so many things to say about how people are and the nature of people. And so those those books are important, you know, because mm -hmm. it's it's only it's like a it's like a workbook for your life, kind of. There's the really great works. That's the way I look at them. They just help you think about things that help you ask yourself those questions that 
if you don't ask, you just won't even think about your own life in certain ways. You may mm-hmm. come across it without Moby Dick, obviously, but it's these types of things that do a good job of just bringing you back into that room over and over and asking you things and making you see things in a, in a different perspective in a very important way that helps you understand the world around you and yourself, mm-hmm. which is kind of the same thing because you're fucking... You're only your fucking brain walking around. The rest of this shit is right. just there to keep the brain moving around. That's right. The rest of this is just the, the brain's bitch. The brain's bitch, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so but once, <laughs> so once, once the guy dies or something happens where the book does start to take, if it can survive and can be discussed and debated, and then the book becomes like a classic. And, you know, usually good literature sticks around because it does help us understand our lives and our times. It's the only reason books stick around. There's no because everything else is just so time oriented or like locally, you know, attached to like a thing. That thing is gonna be out of uh, fashion in ten years, fifty years. Then no one's gonna give a fuck about it. You can write the best book in the world about the nineteen eighty seven Chevy fucking Camaro. It's a very limited fucking scope. Even if you make some great points, it's tied to something that no one gives a fuck about. The great works of literature, the ones that survive are about us because we're never going to go out of fashion. We are the fucking everything, you know? Um, This book came out in 1996. I didn't read it right away. I read it. I was in college from 93 to 01. So I read it probably towards the end of my college. I'm like around 2000, 2001. And uh, I was in college for eight years. I was a commuter student working and and doing this, uh, the college thing on the side. But I started as an English major. So just fair warning, this is not like... You're not going to ever see Infinite Jest in a fucking airport on the fucking carousel mm-hmm. as like one of the books that you can fucking snag on the way to get there. But I wasn't a fucking English major. I don't think you know? it's a carry-on. I don't, think a, it, I don't think that thing is a carry-on. Man. It's a big fucking book. <laughs> and I, you know, I did have a, a strong appreciation for it. And there was certain things that, you know, there, it's like one of those books that people, the English major people would definitely either have or haven't read it. It's one of those things, you know, and you come up with your reason for... And the ones that do wear a scarf around their neck and they have round glasses and they go, oh, there is certainly reading the infinite jest. Yes, there is certainly that aspect to it, which I, I don't really like. But even if you don't have that appreciation or you don't care about the ascots or the scarf people, uh, it, it still is going to have an impact on you because just anytime you read these big books... Even if you don't read this book, I'm telling you, it's having an impact on you because the people that create everything at some point are the people that are looking to this type of book, to the Moby Dick, the big classics of our times have an effect on them and then they go right out the TV show or the slogan on the t-shirt or the TV show or the the commercial. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They're, they're putting the content in front of you. So it will trickle down to you. On this one, though, I just, I've really, I heard enough about it early on. It did have some direct touch with me. Some of the things that happened around that time just led me right to it. I just wanted to drink from the source on this one. So I read a little criticism and tried to do a little homework to keep up with it. Because it's a fucking, there's a lot to it. Uh, One thing I did do, too, after reading it back in, like, 2000, in, like, 2006 or 7, I think, uh, I got it for the first time on Audible. Mm-hmm. And I've had it on Audible for like four phones. I had Audible for one month. I thought I would like the audiobook thing, but I was like, it's just, I, I was spending like 10 bucks a month for nothing. Mm-hmm. So I shut my Audible off. But if you bought something on Audible, you get to keep it. So oh, I've yeah. had this. And, and like you mentioned, I know it is like 56 hours written, written uh, read by some guy that 
He has to do all these fucking voices and whatever. He's reading the book, so I'm fine with the fucking guy's voice. You've got to have a good actor do uh, readings for those things or it just comes out like yeah. fucking dog shit. Uh, I mean, well, it would be nice if it was someone that was good. I think he was kind if of he was, serviceable. Yeah, if he's not good, he just, yeah. If he wasn't good, he's not good. But you can't have the author read something like that because the author's not going to be able to jump into all these fucking voices. And I definitely don't think he would have done it. I definitely no. don't think he would have read it. He, I think he died around the time that the audiobook came out. And that's what killed him, actually. He no, he fucking he killed himself, which adds to the mystique, right? Because <laughs> I think we all think kind of he bud dwired. He bud dwired right, with everybody. a piece of rope outside of a camera. Jesus Christ! Uh, so, but because <laughs> because I think this is such an important book, I want to bring a little bit of it to you. I bought in a handful of copies. It's one of these things that I propagate. please finally just tell us what it's about, Greg. That's that's, that's the whole what we're thing. all waiting for for years. That's the whole thing is that many of the main consequences and the outcomes are not even clear enough to just say this happened. You can't always say who you can't shot even JR. what it, you can't even say what it's about. You can't because you like, can't say what Infinite Jest is about. It's well because some of the plot points are like who was Mario's real father? Was Joelle Van Dyne the prettiest girl of all time, or was she hideously deformed? Like there's argument to that. What happened to Hal, the main character? Did so there is a main character. Yes. So that's where you start. When you when somebody goes, what is the book about? You go, there's a main character. His name not is about How. the main character, though. But you just said he's the main character. He is. because Even he's... if it's not about it, you can give some kind of semblance. You can give some, man. So you got How. What was the, or... what was the final outcome for Don Gately? What was the final outcome for the AFR? And what happened with the deadly film known only as the entertainment? All these things are huge, and they're left for the reader to decide. And it is kind of convoluted, but that's the whole point of this book. It's not about, I want to find out who shot JR. Right. It's the journey that... that it's, it's very funny. There's a lot of shit into it. But here's the thing. I want to... Just a quick note about postmodernism. This book is definitely a large work of postmodern fiction. And I, it's like, what does that mean? Modernism is a type of thought or an attitude that came around in the 1800s. Uh, many people think it is a step in the evolution of any society that will come about... When you leave traditionalism and tribalism and you start to... Jeez, you hear that fucking weed whacker out there? Yeah. I'm just saying that on here just in case anybody else hears that weed whacker. I'm sure they're not going to... Basically, once 80% of the society is not having to spend every waking hour just trying to stay alive, you start to think about what are we here for. You become self-conscious and self-referential and start thinking, why am I doing this? Is this the right thing to be doing? Mm -hmm. Well, you don't question that shit when you're trying to outrun a fucking Mastodon. you just fucking do what you got to do to stay alive. Once modernism came around, about a hundred years later, people start saying, it's not about why, it's, it, it gets to that next level. It's more now, I, I think the gist of postmodernism, which started somewhere around the beginning of the century, that's kind of an arguable thing, but like maybe like World War One, World War Two, we move into the postmodern period. It's not just literature, it's everything. It's, it's irony, it's sarcasm, it's meta whatever the fuck you want to talk about. The gist of it is you had traditional shit where people just followed a very tight schedule and a very tight timeline when they wrote something, when they composed a song, when they painted something. Then you get to modernism where it's kind of like, well, shouldn't we be involved? You're kind of breaking the fourth wall in, like, in art mm -hmm. and saying, you know, I'm the painter, maybe I should be involved. Maybe I'll do a fucking self-portrait or I'll do... A, as a goof I'll do this as a goof or we'll fuck the whole thing up now with postmodernism and that's where this book comes from I think um, it, definitely in literature changes happened because it, it's really more about mind over body 
I think that's a big aspect of postmodernism is that we are just our brain and people will start thinking about like the matrix or are we real or is this whole thing an illusion that's happening in my brain? Are you real? Am I real to you? How do I know what I look like to you? How do you know we, that next layer of like complication in life that helps people get more inward? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big part of postmodernism. We're turning inward and looking at things whereas opposed to you're not just it's not traditionalism anymore and it's not even modernism where you're just starting to notice i'm a person i'm living my life maybe i don't have to just go you know march rank and file and even in like war technique uh modernism the shift in modernism was kind of they used to just be in lines they'd line up the first line would shoot at the first line everyone would collapse and fall then yeah. the second line would shoot and then they were like yeah who's maybe got we don't the- have to do it like that yeah. anymore i'm Guy on the first line, I have a question about this. <laughs> Put your fucking hand down. Guy in the sixth line, just fucking do it the way we've always done it, man. That was easy for you to say, <laughs> Mr. Sixth fucking line. So, you know, this this is one of those things about postmodern liter- literature. Because there's so many of the great books are still from that earlier period where it's more straightforward and it's trying to explain relationships in a way by just showing you a guy's relationship with his mother or his wife or his kids or whatever. This is more about people's relationship with their own lives Mm -hmm. so there's like these long passages about the reason a guy wants to quit drugs not just he quit drugs and he went to work and he made more money right or he couldn't quit drugs and he ended up losing his job complete opposite of Hemingway it's the complete opposite right I I guess you could say that because it's all about what is happening in the mind with whether nothing is physically happening or not Um, also this is a fucking very large book it's a thousand seventy nine pages in just over 577,000 words. And someone wrote, it's over 20,500 unique words in this book. To put that in perspective, the average adult entire vocabulary is typically between 20,000 and 30,000 words. Mm-hmm. So this book, in a lot of cases, for a lot of people, is going to take every single word that you know to run through his, his little story here. But I do guarantee that it will change the way you think about things if you listen to it or read it. And that's why I just... I'm all about it. It's, I just, it's a fucking badass book. So in the short run, you asked earlier, what is this fucking book about, right? That's mm-hmm. what people want to know. What the fuck is it about? But a fucking... I would say it is a long and extremely detailed look at what addiction is. Okay. And I think what he would say is drug addiction is something that's relatable to people. So you're either part of it or you're not part of it or you... You know somebody who's a part of it. It's got a relation in everyone's life. Right. So that's why he uses drug addiction as a big part of some of the plot lines. But I would back up and say addiction is like a central theme in life. And that is, it's your loss in moderation. Mm -hmm. You're living your life. You need to eat. You need to sleep. You need shelter. You need to work. But it's doing any one of those things more than your need. Yes. Eating. Sleeping. It's about how does one go about establishing how much I need to eat? Mm -hmm. How does one establish how much heroin I need? Or how much fucking Just a little bit. Just a taste. Just a taste, Greg. Exactly. And then (laughs) as soon as you get out of line with any of those things, everything else is out of line. This episode is sponsored by Mr. Oxy's Dr. Lean. Did you know there is no better way to stay calm and relaxed? Studies have shown that households that buy Mr. Oxy's Dr. Lean have a 3% lower incidence of domestic violence. I can say it saved my wife more than once. With its crisp, bubbly taste and full opiate profile, you just can't say no to a Mr. Oxy's Dr. Lean. A Popco brand. And then he showcases people that are fucking way out 
that are the, the two main subplots in this book are the Ennett House drug and re recovery house. I mm-hmm. guess it is the halfway house. A lot of the characters are on the end of life after drug addiction. And a lot of stories, like a lot of stuff is happening in AA meetings because that's like an easy plot device for him where a guy can just get up and tell his fucking story. Of course. Dude, some of the most brutal fucking things. I wonder if you actually could go to fucking a couple of years of fucking AA meetings all over. Nothing's stopping anybody. Nothing is stopping anybody from just showing up to any of those meetings. That's correct. But Mm -hmm. what I was going to say is I wonder if you could, how long it would take... For you to, because it's a work of fiction. So that's the beauty of this: is that he has this idea that he wants to communicate you to you, and he can just write down some made-up shit because mm-hmm. it's fiction. But I wonder if you went to, I don't know, five hundred fucking AA meetings across the country, if you would even hear half of this many, like just the level of fucking brutal, bottom, bottoming out stories. I guarantee he would. You would hear more. You would hear just this, just the same level. There's, there. And maybe that's the thing too. Is a bottom and is the bottom, and the bottom is the bottom. And I guarantee he went, he knew those things personally, or he went and and sat in on those and got those stories from those people. But the worst, most in, in meticulously written like stuff about how could you even think of that happening, is because it fucking happened. Because fact is it always fucking, strange. It's we, oh, a million yeah. times, and that's the. Uh, this is reminding me a lot about Chuck Palahniuk and uh, Palahniuk and Choke, or or Fight Club, where he's going to these fucking meetings and whatnot, yeah. and trying to like piece himself together. But he, even Chuck Palahniuk has wrote a book that you know, Stranger Than Fiction, where he just tells you these stories. It's like nobody can write a story crazier than the real shit that happened. I guarantee that this guy. Maybe maybe it didn't happen to any to him, or maybe it didn't even happen to one person. But he probably is like, oh, I'm gonna take the aspect of that guy's story. I'm gonna take his uh, the aspect of this guy's story. I'm gonna fucking combine them because that I see how that would make a better one. But honestly, nobody's just no, fucking right, we're dreaming just, we're that seven shit billion up, monkeys at seven billion fucking life typewriters, oh, and shit is just fucking. Dude, you would be churning out. You it yeah just and it's fucking putting out bananas. The <laughs> if you just sought out some of the drug recovery people's stories and some of the shit that they... Because the drug recovery people like go to a meeting and then you hear these guys' stories and just the the politics of the meetings and shit is so fucking interesting. And it's it's just so eye-opening about how people relate to each other. Even in drug recovery, the level of politics and the things that you wouldn't necessarily think of, but once you hear of it, you go, yeah, that totally makes sense Mm -hmm. that that would happen. It's it's just so fucking. Was it like a hierarchy based on how long you've been sober? And it's like it's. I wish that I could just fucking like say there's something like that, but there's so many. That's definitely an aspect of it. Like who would be the all stars? The guys that have been I'm ten sober years. for twenty eight fucking years, and they don't want to re- deal with the fucking, you know, the newbies. But then after you've been in for a certain amount of time, like one of these guys will take you under his wing, and like some of the stuff is obvious. But then when you get to that next level, it's always the next level. You go. That makes sense. And then this happens, you go... It would be... I love that. I love that when you get to fucking, that point when you're like, man, that would happen. I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, it wouldn't... Like, but, what, it, you're, but you're right, but it would happen. Here's yeah. an example. This is one of those things where you're like, yeah, that's not that interesting. Outside of the context of it, maybe it will be. One of the guys, you know, a lot of drug addicts do like home invasions. They're breaking into homes. And this guy, as he's doing his home invasion thing, he starts to get described as like, it's like the same shit all the time. He knows, because he's been breaking into people's homes, that the fine uh the safe if there's a wall safe is always going to be behind 
some type of impressionist landscape, sea or land, whatever, within four meters of the fucking bed. And people always keep their good silverware. Then he goes into this long description. 90% of the time, the good silverware is going to... The regular silverware is going to be here. And then it's always two shelves underneath is where the dish rags are going to be. I really, really, really don't want to trivialize this guy's work by any means. But you see the parallels very much so between Chuck Palahniuk's writing and that. Because that, dude, that is... like you, You said you've read Choke and everything, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that same thing where it's like gets into really specific like details about that kind of stuff where there's this really great book that he wrote called rant and it's like really um very very similar things he actually talks about how people hide gold in their walls like you if, uh there was a time when people didn't trust banks and you can go and um like coffee cans and stuff or just of, of cash and money will be hidden inside walls in certain places and like the guy it talks about there's a guy that goes and gets them and he's like really specific about it and you're like i guess that that would be true maybe there is actually fucking gold out there you know which is just a very parallel kind of thing. I'm not trying to trivialize this guy. No, I mean, Chuck means. Plunk's a good author yeah. also. You know? Just the two incredible authors that I think have two uh, similar mindsets, I think. Yeah, and, and I do yeah. like a lot of his stuff. I'm reading one of his right now that you let Haunted. Me Haunted, yeah. I'm very interested to see how you feel about that when it my, all my comes... My favorite thing about that book, by the way, is that face glows. In the dark, yeah, yeah on, it's the, like, on the cover of the so book. So it like, charges up in the light, and then you shut it off in this weird, like... Howling are you still you're still reading that yeah i'm not done with it yet i'm like halfway through if you're halfway i'm so interested to know how it ends because i know i've my friend told me how it ends and he's like dude it gets so fucking crazy and uh, i'm waiting for that because none of the stories have been like ooh. i think when you finally get to the story itself and how the whole thing is supposed to you'll i guess you'll you'll find it seems like it's getting more desperate on the people but all right that's a digression so the other main plot, so the main, one of the main plots is the um, Ennett House Drug and Recovery House. Up the hill is the other main plot, which is the Enfield Tennis Academy. Mm-hmm. This is a highly ranked school for junior tennis prodigies who are just worked brutally. Like, they worked super hard, and then because of that, so many of the kids in the place are like, you know, they have like, uh, at any one time, 16 of the top 50 tennis playing kids in the country go to this fucking place. So they just... These kids are just pounded. And we all know the trope about these these ultra overworked kids, overachieving kids, all lean heavily on drugs to like oh, yeah. fucking release valve. Because they just their schedules are like, you know, they're like a fucking CEO, but at fucking 12. They work, there's so much detail in the amount of tennis and like the things that happen. Like when you're in puberty, you are not supposed to be lifting weights or doing stuff that's going to grow your muscles because your skeleton hasn't like fully formed right and so you'll fucking stress your skeleton if it's trying to fucking grow in a certain way and all of a sudden you get these massive fucking arms your skeleton's like I, what the fuck we can't even you get can there you can really stunt your growth and yeah. it, it makes you wicked injury prone mm-hmm. you could stunt your growth probably and it makes you wicked injury prone and it's painful for fuck's sake it's like it's like braces for your fucking skeleton except they're not pulling things together it's fucking pulling things apart wow. you know and the shit these kids go through like they uh they're out in the sun so much playing fucking tennis that they'll sweat any type of fucking sunscreen off. This might actually be a thing. Some of these things, of it's like he doesn't have to outrun the bear in, in terms of understanding shit and knowing it fully back, backwards and forwards. He just has to outrun me. If he, right. if he can be a little smarter than me, I'm like... Hey, I, I guess mean, that seems right. That, that seems, seems pretty reasonable. Sense. He knows a bunch of other shit. Yeah. Uh, but he says the kids put lemon pledge on because it will husk over... 
it blocks out the UV rays and it won't sweat off. It only gives them a little bit of cancer. And it, well, when they're when they're pores they're when their pores open up to the size of a fucking sand dollar and the chemicals are just pouring into their fucking first layer of skin. I would skin. love to know if anyone could send in something about have, hearing lemon pledge. Please let us know lemon pledge. Is that safe? Is that safe? Uh, wooden safe. wooden floor cleaner. Is that safe <laughs> to put on your twelve year olds? Let me know. So, like I said, this is just a part one, but I just want to give you like a little taste of. Uh, some of the characters. I just want to do like one one character here. Yeah. The man that started this tennis academy, which is where a lot of the characters are. Hal is a kid at the tennis academy. Mm-hmm. He is, I would say, the main character. But he's not like the main character. Like, think of this as like an election with like 32 people running. The guy that wins gets like 19%. Only because no one else got 19%. So that's how Hal is the main character. But there's so many subplots right. and it's all them. out of... Yeah. He's got the most time. So, yeah, continue. Because I want to, I, I think, just continue. I don't want to, like, jump in too much and derail, but I definitely... Derail have... away, though, because I want to make it I want to make it more conversational. So, so I want to hear I want to hear what you're, you're about to say about this main hall guy, and then I, I have a... Continue, please. Nice. So, the man that started the Academy is one of the main characters, James Incandenza. Wildly interesting fucking de- guy. He was a child tennis star, never really hit the highest levels, but he's a really good student, and he, he went to a... A good college program. It did really well. Then he made his money doing high-level optics work for the government. Turned into like weaponized shit, but like mirrors that could help focus lasers and sh- you know shit that's over my head for sure. There's a lot of shit in this book that I just have to take his word for it because he'll just go into these detailed scientific descriptions of how shit happens, and I go, all right, that makes sense. Sometimes he does it just to distract you. It's like a, I think it's a uh, sometimes a uh, strategy that he employs is just overload you with stimulus mm-hmm. a, throwing a bunch of shit at you a bunch of details sometimes like so at, at the end of this book there are like 380 fucking end notes so you're reading the book and then number one comes up so you go to the back of the book and end note number one sometimes it'll just be like a quick little thing like uh he'll he'll mention the name of a drug like the street name for it and then it'll he'll say smack and it'll have a little two and you go to the back and you look at two and it says this is a street name for heroin mm-hmm. or whatever or sometimes he 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 loves to fucking give the full drug names. I'm really bad with drugs. Doxycycline, hope, yeah. Th- that yes, but then also like the drug stuff that you are pretty good with this sometimes, and I'm just like an idiot with it. But it's like, dude, that's a barbiturate. No, that's a fucking right. that's a methamphetamine or Meth- what? Yeah, yeah. I like, and he's good at like saying like it's it's kind of like this, but it's more like a dream, or it's more like this. It has the same effect as that, and I'm like, I have no fucking idea, dude. I've yeah, done a little. See, I've done a little is, of the pot. Is, way see, back. Your, your problem is you haven't done enough experimentation. Like you, <laughs> when you uh, that's ex- totally true. I you have not. to uh, conduct in- experiments, and okay. then uh, then you're able to yeah. And a lot of the conversation involves pills. Going back to what I was saying, which is, it's so like prescient because what I think pills are a fucking huge problem in America. Mm-hmm. Not just because people are breaking into fucking houses every single day and night everywhere to get them but we're also prescribing the fuck out of them and like average joe is like how many it's like how many pills do you take on a fucking average basis mm-hmm. i take a pill for this but i take a pill for that i take a pill for this well these ones are bad because people are getting addicted to them and breaking into houses but hey what are we gonna do we'll keep on fucking pumping them out there because people have pain or whatever i think and he talked a lot about pills in we got a fucking lawnmower guy out there. Now we got Jeez. lawnmower guy. Ah, we make up your mind. The pi- the pill thing is just one of the things I think that's that's so great. But some of the notes are 
just explaining a drug and some of the notes are like fucking involved because mm-hmm. like he wanted to put in a piece of backstory maybe he maybe it, he just wanted to squeeze it in or maybe he's trying to distract you so you go to this and you read fucking five paragraphs about the lawnmower guy then you go back and you're like what the fuck was he even talking about and it just pulls you out of what you're doing and just forcing you to concentrate more and more because even if you're not maximum concentration the deeper you pull someone in the closer they're going to get to Right. You know, a higher level of concentration. So I think sometimes he does kind of just crush you with the over, mm-hmm. over stimulus. Uh, but so anyway, the, the James Incandenza made money doing high level optics work for the government, parlayed that money into starting this tennis academy, and then at some point his alcoholism pulls him in different directions. But he turns the tennis academy over to his wife and his wife's half brother, and then he goes into a filmmaking career. His filmmaking career is fucking insane, dude. It's it's one another one of my favorite parts of the book. And so you got him. He started the Tennis Academy, and he's made films. And he goes so far, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but like I said, it's not the type of book. He goes so far to make this movie called Infinite Jest 5. You find out later it's Infinite Jest 5, which is called in the movie The Entertainment. And this movie is said to be so engrossing that people cannot... Not only will you die before you stop watching it, like, most of the deaths are, like, the people are so happy watching this movie. They just keep running it. If you cut the power, they'll just watch it until they die of neglect of themselves. If you cut the power, well, good, they're out of the trance. They will not want to do anything else but watch the movie. So there's, like, sanitariums where people are in there just freaking the fuck out until they put the movie back on in a fucking loop form and then put them on a IV drip and a fucking bedpan or whatever. Which right. You know, it's, it's a little foolish, but it's kind of an interesting concept that there's a movie out there so entertaining right. that people will die. And a lot of that, I think, bounces off the concept of how much entertainment do we fucking need in America? That's All a concept it. he's constantly... It's not just America, man. It's joking the, the, human, the human animal. Yes, it's this level of evolution where, as I was saying before, in postmodernism, we're starting to question things like like everything. We, we are not just 90% trying to fucking hand-to-mouth survive... Now that we don't have to do that, what are we doing with our free time? And the question's always going to be, are we using it the right way or are we wasting it? Mm-hmm. And, and if you are using some of it, why are you wasting some of it and using some of it? And what is a waste and what is a good use? Mm-hmm. And always in this, com- in, in this conversation is, how comfortable do you need to be? And then where is the line cross where your comfort now is starting to affect your productivity and your actual value of life? Mm-hmm. It's, I, it's a fucking insanely interesting question to me. And it's so pertinent right now where we're in this time where the fucking Avengers made a billion dollars in a fucking week. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there's right. people starving in the streets and there's people breaking into houses to fucking get pills because they just want to block their fucking life out with mm-hmm. fucking, you know, the, the addictive fucking drugs. And we're doing the Millennial Book Club every week. Yeah. You know? It's an insanely interesting question, I think, because we don't mm-hmm. have World War II forcing us to ration and collect fucking steel and rubber. We got. What do we got? We have, you know, the the Buddha preaches joyful participation in the sorrows of the world. None of us chose to be born into this time or or this this peace, but we are cogs, and we just have to happily fucking run it. And I think it's interesting. He puts it in the face of addiction, and obviously, the Infinite Jest movie uh, would be analogous to where we're going with uh, how we're going to be incorporating like internet into our lives now like it's pretty soon it's going to be more haptic and it's going to slowly the line between us 
thinking of I need to look up something and looking that thing up, the time is slowly getting compressed. And that's what it's been doing since the beginning of And that makes it so important. It's, it's, are you looking up shit that's valuable to you or are you just looking shit up? So again, he puts that in the face of addiction. It's the same thing. There And, and yes. because there's... He puts, yeah, it puts that all in the same realm of. So there, because there are 7 billion people in the world, there are, will 100% always be people that are going to watch this movie, I'm pulling up quotes called Infinite Jest, and they're going to fucking die because it's the only thing they can do. But more naturally, people fall in this place, and that's why the things like this, it's like yeah, we it, it, this these commentaries on where we're going and how things are, it's like, yeah, but we're not, the whole world isn't, the whole fucking human... Uh, a human thing is not going that way. Like, there are going to be the people breaking into houses do, but some guys just like shooting up on the weekend. You know, we're not fucking doing it all the time. I still show up to work. You still got doing this fucking stuff. Like, that's the, um, that's where most of everyone lays. And uh, it's, it's. Silicolin is the number one doctor recommended stool coagulant. Polymers invented by the world-renowned Dr. Koshi Kolonapi bind the matter in your large intestines so that your movements require virtually no cleanup. Originally developed to treat anal seepage, silicolin is for anyone who desires spotless underwear and a streak-free toilet bowl. Side effects may include acute anal seepage, upset stomach, bunions, spina bifida, night terrors, night sweats, terror sweats, and a loss of sexual identity. If you are experiencing more than five seizures a day, stop use immediately. Leave toilet paper behind. Ask your doctor if silicolin is right for you. Silicolin, a Popco brand. I think it's still something you have to look at. You have to think like that because that's what makes you have those realizations and have those thoughts. It's like, dude, I can't be fucking doing blow every day. Like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this is this is. Are there functional heroin addicts? Do you think that's an actual? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I remember I think when I saw Maj Pulp Fiction. That was one of I my think, biggest things. Think, like, how could John Travolta be a fucking working hitman and still be doing fucking functioning? Snack? Fuck? I think there are. I think functioning functioning heroin or opiate addicts is the most common form of functioning addiction people that you you there are in the world just because uh, you should actually listen to the dollop on opiates it was a two-part it came out recently it was a part one and a part two all on opiates and it goes back from the beginning it starts and it goes all the way up to where fentanyl is now and how just available it is in everyone's life and how it's just given to people and how it's prescribed and the whole thing it's it is definitely something that's based on money how much money you have if you start whatever it is uh, yeah, 100%. Drugs don't run people's... not Drugs don't run everyone's life. People think they do because you just see the horror stories. The guy that's fucking doing it and running his Fortune 500 company, you never hear about him because he never... But sometimes... Just curious, how many Fortune 500 CEOs do you think are functional heroin addicts? Most of them. <laughs> Dude, fucking... Think about All right, it. I think guess about fucking... If they're not... If they're not, like... Uh, they're either hyper fucking insane people in the way that they're clean and they don't even fucking look at alcohol. There's those guys. Like the Elon Musk? Would he like fall the, in that camp? No, because he, he like drinks and stuff, but he's just he's just a fucking alien. Just leave him out of the fucking equation is what I'm saying. But those guys that, that you do have that are at that fortune level are extremists in all those ways. So they're either that or they're the guy that wakes up, I do a little blow, I do a little Adderall, I fucking uh, take this, I take that, and I'm fucking ready to start making some power moves. It's like that's, those are those people. And those people run for a long period of time. Every once in a while they slip and they fucking die and you get your prints. Like those people, to think, 
to get to Prince's level, just being a slack ass, like he's Prince the musician. Yes, to being a slack ass, like you're not the artist formerly known as Prince. We're talking Prince now. Um, Princess. No, no, (laughs) talking Michael Jackson. What are you talking about? It's all the same, dude. Michael Jackson died of fentanyl. It's all the same. What I'm saying is these people don't get to that level without drugs. But by being functioning drug addicts, like you, he, there, those are functioning because they showed up to work every fucking day. They performed every fucking day. Not only did they do it every day, but they put in like 80, 90 hour fucking weeks, work weeks doing that shit. Like that is a functioning drug addict. All those musicians are. That is functioning. That's highly functioning above normal other, like they probably did it because of the drugs. They were able to get up that high as far as functioning. But there's people that the drug becomes the thing. Like, for these guys, they do drugs, it helps them release, but... But you you don't think that's a story for the vast majority of people? No. You don't think that the middle period between I started it and I've succumbed to it is very long? You you think that's... Sometimes people can just live their whole life just being in that middle period. Absolutely. There are people that live their whole life. There's people that stop. It'll get to a point. But I think this off-the-end, deep-end is common... Because of just the numbers of people that exist. Or like There's so many. There's 300 million people. There's a very common. Everyone knows somebody that that, that happened to. It's like one in five. But there are... And so you literally many. never hear about the people that don't because they just keep it quiet. They, and never, they just fucking... I do my drugs. I do this. You see me at work. That's it. That's it. And they don't ever fuck with everyone, anyone else. You never know because they don't push their limit. They're not fiending. They don't do something stupid. Like Those people exist and they exist in vast numbers. That's most of us. See, I think you would love this book, dude, because that is a big part of it. And I just, I thought it was part of the fictional aspect of it, where he's just almost relating everyone to their their substance. You know, some people are workaholics, some people are soccerholics or whatever. But for the most part, he was like, what what drug? He was almost relating you to the character, yeah. like by their what level drug is your of, drug? What, what, drug? What, what addiction? What thing are you doing? And and. The, even with the entertainment thing. So if you want to throw the entertainment thing in there with it, it's just like the drug thing. Like there are going to be people like when, when the internet is fucking implanted in the back of our head, there are going to be people that fucking turn that thing on, turn on fucking Pornhub, and if you turn it off, they will fucking kill you. Like they're going to go insane. Like that is going to be so much better than any kind of reality they can fucking imagine. It's the same thing with drugs. Like drugs are so much of a better reality than anything you can imagine. For some people, that's all they want. But for other people, they do it every once in a while, and it's going to be the same exact thing with this. It's always will be the same. It always land in the same bell curve of most of us are right in the fucking middle of that bell curve. There's people on this end, and there's people on that end. Maybe we'll be taking a little more than we want or a little right. less than we want, but it's, it's functional. You're in that fucking space. I just feel like there are some drugs, though. Like I, I guess I just always thought heroin was one of those drugs that... Probably, you know, I'm, I'm just as much victim to everything else in, right. in fucking pop culture. Here's the thing. When I was a kid, they were like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do drugs. You could die. There was a very famous Boston Celtic when I was a kid. I want to say like in 85. This guy named Len Bias. First round draft pick. They were like, woo, he's going to make big money. Went to a party, did cocaine for the first time and had a heart attack. You know, and AIDS was like a big deal. They were like, you could have sex one time and die. Greg, let me tell they you They pounded me with this shit. So <laughs> I'm like, I wouldn't touch heroin with a fucking 10-foot pole. Who wouldn't touch it? You and touch you're it. like, oh, Greg, we evolved so much. I'm doing heroin right now. I couldn't even be dealing with you at this level without it. Road soda brought to you by heroin. It is, uh, it's not even just, you know, if there's one thing that they have ever been the most wrong about, it's drugs. 
And when it comes to, ah, they always told us that it was drugs. It's like, yeah, they got it. You have to do that. You have to show them that you do blow once, you're going to fucking die. Because we can't have our it kids. It works for me. Sons of bitches. Have, I haven't even touched it. can't have your kids doing blow. And we don't want, we want people to live in moderation. But to say that, uh, yeah, heroin, here's the thing. Let's put and it it's not way. for average about, Johnny, right? It's for the kid that has worked his way into this high level of functioning where he's going to be the kid that's going to go to fucking Endicott in New Hampshire and be the next senator. That's the kid that needs to be up all night on the fucking drug or the Elon Musk or whatever. Average Joe, just have a six-pack, man. Sit in front of the have TV. Have a six-pack. Just relax just, uh, with some booze. Have get a little, that spare tire going. We need Get that needle in your arm. Do a little... Don't do the needle because <laughs> oh, then you're going to be all hyped up and everyone's going to be too... We only need a small percentage of these creative types. The guys that'll wear a director's towel around their neck. I have a, it's very hot in here, Greg, and you know. I love that once we started talking about it, though, all of a sudden, he brings out this towel. It's <laughs> like almost like an ascot. If he wasn't wearing a t-shirt, he could tuck it into his shirt. It is a t-shirt. It's a t-shirt. I'm using a t-shirt to... As an ascot. Of, you're right, yes. I love it. Ass, I love it. Ass t-shirt. <laughs> so, but I mean, most of us have done heroin. 90%. If you've ever you ever gone and got your fucking teeth pulled, and when you were out, and they were like, here's your fucking uh, Oxycontins for your for your mouth pain. Like, you've done something. I never form. have gotten any real painkillers. You've never... Is hydrocodone? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it did it, nothing for me. Exactly. And it was a dental thing, and it was many years ago. And it's... it's you, it makes you f- kind of feel a little, like, loopy or whatever, but it's like, man, what is this? Like, I had a, a beer. Is that what I'm feeling? That's... Most of us have done it. It's it, You've done that. It's tickled the same receptors. Are you fucking sucking dick for it in a back alley right now? It's this dude. It's it's all... There are people that just... It works for it. There are people that just... Once they do it, that's all they want to fucking do. That's all they can live for. And then when that's your, your mindset, and then the physical addiction on top of that, like stacks on top of it, those two things combine, and you're fucking... You're out of it. It's done. Like doesn't now, it seem like it's an epidemic right now? Though there's of so course many... it is an epidemic, and it's because of how it's operated in America. Is it more of a statement on the fact that we there's so many of us that are just sitting around jerking off, having no. time to fucking do this shit? Like if, if we had World War Three coming on right now, and everyone was trying to prepare at their maybe there wouldn't be so many listless motherfuckers around there waiting to fucking. It's it has everything to do with capitalism and and the. Uh, Capitalism, when it comes to the so the market. home invasion period is just an inevitable step in capitalism. It's the next. Le- what do you evolution. mean the home? I don't, I'm just the saying home invasion, the reason all this invasion that we're dealing. What with I right mean now is all these people. Yeah, to all these people addicted to to heroin and, uh, and opiates has everything to do with capitalism and and um, an, a car, an economy that facilitates infinite growth in these like prescription these drug companies that are like how do we get more fucking people taking our drugs and then we go out and they fucking push it on these the doctors and then the doctors go out they push it to their patients and it's it's a vicious cycle it's it's really i don't think there's um and they're just putting any, it out to so many people they're like we'll catch all the addicts everyone, everyone that's going to be an addict is going to get some yeah, of these. And everyone is fucking getting it and now the the parameters like you can you honestly when you go to a pain doctor like you're going to get fucking drugs they're going to give you drugs like their job is, you walk out of here with fucking drugs. Just fucking what? Do, tell me what I want. Your back, your toenail. Here's your fucking thing. Get out of here. I make money. This is why you're here. This is why you're walking in here right now. Is to walk out of here with a fucking drug. That's my job. Now knock, knock. the thing Who's is, there drugs. The, the let me tell you, the government doesn't care if you're on drugs. They care if you're on drugs and it doesn't go through their fucking pocket. That's that's where they give a shit. 
They right. want to sell you hair. They you, you they don't care if you do hair. They just want to sell it to you. They want you to go in and buy it from a guy. That's later. not the government, though. I, I don't like when people vilify. I'm not talking like about the, the government. government. It's the drug companies. No, no, no. The government are doing the drug. Hates any time. The gun people are doing the gun thing. The whatever. The government is just like a bunch of guys that are like, how much of the check are you going to write me to right. not give? The go- what I'm saying is the government doesn't care what you do. The government doesn't care as long as when you move goods and it, they get the fucking money. That's right. that's what they care. That's what I mean. I'm not caring saying that they're. They don't give a shit as long as... On a related note, I just heard a thing about Apple getting in trouble for trying to shut down apps that are involved with uh, screen time. Is it an again thing? Like, they're trying to stop people. They're they're trying to dampen or shut down apps that are out there to help you be less hooked on your fucking phone. Then why the fuck did they even put that feature on the phone? Because they have to. Everyone else put it in, so they have to. That would stick out if they were like... Apple has a policy of not. Yeah, you know what else sticks out? Them trying to fucking crush companies that are trying to get you off your phone. It's just like fucking when they put on the fucking pack of cigarettes. These are going to definitely get the fucking fuck out of here. You. I'm trying to watch this cat video. What the fuck am I looking at, dude? This is it. it doesn't stop anything. But it doesn't stop anything, emotions. and it doesn't help anything. Right. Like there's always gonna be people that are fucking plastered, and there's always gonna be people that don't. Because that's capitalism. You're right. As most things, of us are gonna be as these technological tools become more available. Me and you were like, oh, hey, this is cool. This is kind of helping me or whatever. The government and the fucking powers that be are like, we can use this to fucking ratchet it down even more on these motherfuckers and squeeze more. Isn't it just crazy, though, that there's like apps like, let me get you on your phone to tell you to get off your phone. Like there was this, I saw this article about this guy walking across country on, it was an Instagram. He had, here's my Instagram that I'm showing you. I'm walking across country for awareness, for human connection. Get off your computer and have a human connection. Check right. me out on Instagram. It's a complicated world we it's live in. It's not fucking complicated, you jackass. You're fucking putting me on my Some phone. Some guy's job is to be the marketing guy for that app you were just talking about, to get off your phone. And he's on online all day going, get on this app, it's awesome. Yeah. What's it about? Get off your phone. Get it's off fucking your phone. terrible. Isn't that a little counterintuitive? Are you doing a good job? I don't fucking Our know numbers at all. are down insanely. We're doing great, everybody. Which means we're doing awesome. Which no, means- Bob, we needed you to get fucking ten thousand signups. I'm, I'm a fucking confused failure. <laughs> I'm so confused. I don't know what the fuck to do. <laughs> Let me take some pills. I fucking feel great. Exactly. Shit. So this whole, I, I like the infinite jest, and I think what what you're getting at is, uh, I like. I'm always able to uh, find some kind of connection to an anime, right? <laughs> there is. <laughs> Some kind of connection to an anime, and then the only connection is maybe in how the story is told. There's this anime uh, called Bakano. If people are anime who are interested in anime and they like, um, how do I spell that? B o c c i n o. B a c c a n o. Uh, Bakano. So anyone who out, who who is interested in anime or you've watched it, you'll, you'll, this is a very enjoyable one. And now the only thing it has is how has in common with this is maybe how a story is told, because. When this when the when the show starts, it's only sixteen episodes long. When it starts, uh, it's this guy who runs this newspaper company, and he's talking to his like this little girl's like his apprentice or whatever, and he's asking her. He's like, now how how is a story told? Like how how do you tell a story? And she's and they're going back and forth and having this conversation. It's like the first episode, and she keeps coming up with like, oh, we start with the main character, and he's like, no, you, you he's like, well, that would work generally, yeah, but what if the story's like this? And she's like, well, then you would do this. He's like, ah, that would work too, but what if this is the kind of thing, but what, what makes the most important? When do you start the story? Where, who do you tell it through? How, and it's like this whole, 
It's like a little story being told each time she says, well, this is our she's, story. And the little right. story actually And she's like showing, yeah, and, and it so shows like, like a little So that's like the frame device to like keep but on then, different perspectives. But when you watch it, when you watch that, you know that that's what's happening in that episode at that time. And you're like, okay, so they're discussing how a story is told. They're, show, they're showing us a lot of disjointed kind of things. And in the next episode, it's like delving into a little more of those disjointed things. And the next episode, so, but by the time... You each one you watch like this. I'm very confused with what the story is. If, if you had to ask me by episode two what the fuck I'm watching, I'd say I don't know. I love what I'm watching here. All these things because happening it's making great. you think about these interesting ideas. Right. Every third one, you're like, oh yeah, that's yeah. really an interesting thing. And that's what it is. It's the journey. That's what a postmodern book is trying to do. It's not about I want to tell you the story of this guy beginning to end. end. Right. right. It's just throwing a bunch of shit at you. It does have to have some type of structure yeah. to it, or else it's just a collection of fucking random shit. But it's not about what's the story about. So, like, when you asked that question in the beginning, I was like, I'm going to have fun with this because mm-hmm. that's not what there's this no, is. There's this story. And that's what Bacchino is. It, it's much it's, more true to life. It's ex- ex- Exactly. It's there is explaining no how... linear thing. It's almost like if you... you uh, uh, like, so by the time you finally get to the end of all 16 episodes, you go, holy shit, now, now I see the story. It's almost as if the story is something in the middle... And if you looked at it from any one perspective, you wouldn't know it. And as the movie plays, it shows you all the way around from all these different perspectives. And in that, then you see the entire fucking picture. Like you're seeing just these little... Everything was a picture of its own. In Japanese anime. Yeah, I've never... Which showed you five different perspectives of drugs in Baltimore. I just learned the other day that... Did you know that The Wire, each season, is a perspective? (laughs) I I had no fucking clue. Great show. I had no fucking clue. But Bacchino, uh, even... That's how it, Japanese for the wire. I think we need to check into that. But I'm well, you're sure. I didn't. You don't know what the actual like plot is, and uh, I don't think it's actually. It's I. I think it's really fucking awesome. But it's about. Um, it's just about this. This tra- like a, you can't really explain what it what it's about. But there's a train. There's a train heist, and there are these people that uh, have found there. There are certain people that can live forever, and there's like. Just all these different stories. It's just, but the main thing that the through line that I'm trying to connect here is that it's doing the same thing, trying to say that a story doesn't have to necessarily be told this way. You can tell it. You got to tell a story. You start a little bit here, then the next episode's starting a hundred years in the past. But you have to know this to know this, and you have to know this to know this, and that's how you got to tell a story. Is you know from all these different perspectives. It's just, but it had nothing else to do with. It makes for a more interesting story mm-hmm. when you tell it from multiple perspectives because you're more likely to hit on something really personal with people. And I think, I think that's where I want... I'd love to do another segment on this at some point. We're not married to anything, but down the road, if it comes up, we will definitely do another section on this because I think talking about some more aspects of the book is only going to bring up more... Uh, conversation. Yeah, like more conversation. maybe dive into a character or something like that and explain more about that kind of thing. Absolutely. I think that will be... Fucking great. So thank you for finally infinite jesting us. In- intro to infinite jest. It was fun. Here we are, folks. We're at the end of another incredible show. Thank you for cracking your 87th road soda. It was, del- it was a delicious soda, if I do say so myself. I enjoyed it. Went down smooth. Smooth. Refreshing. Refreshing. Crisp. And get you ready for the rest of that week. What's going to happen in this week? Well, I'll tell you what. Two weeks ago, I guessed that we would maybe hit 300 Instagram followers. We're not quite there yet, but we are close, and you would still have time to get in on it, be one of the first 300. Road Soda Podcast, 
Follow us everywhere, Road Soda Podcast, including Instagram, where you get to see Isaiah's excellent, excellent, I would say twice, uh, versions of our commercials. Yeah, I make a little make little slideshows out of these commercials, so that's fun. You can see those kinds of, uh, see the slideshows out of the commercials and, and check them out on Instagram. And uh, also this week, first Saturday in May. Every year. What happens, Greg? The Kentucky Derby, baby. It's a big deal. Nobody really gives a shit about horse racing, but it's the Kentucky Derby. It transcends. It transcends. You yes. care about horse racing the one day of the fucking year. Yes. That one day. They always got some crazy names out there. We got to pick some horses. Let's pick some horses right now, and then we'll come back next week. We'll say uh, how it... We'll, we'll see how it went. We'll see how our horses did. Who? Uh, let's see. There's a number... Nothing... A number of horses we can pick from. We have Tacitus, uh, Vercoma. Let's see. There's Game Winner. Uh oh. That's uh, he's he's a good looker in there. Maximum Security. Maximum Security. I like Long Range Toddy. That's a that's a good name, huh? That's a good one. I got a How little about- nephew. I got one nephew in this world, so I gotta I gotta say I like Bodie Express. Bodie Express. Oh yeah. What about, uh, I wonder if Win 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 has any chance. I like the name. I like the name. <laughs> a little on the nose. That's how I feel about it. Uh, let's see. There's Gray Magician. Spinoff. Tax. That's Tax? Tax. All right. Tax. Coming, rounding the first corner. But of course, Greg, where are we going to put our money? We are putting our money on a very high percentage play Roadster. Roadster. The five horse. You know Roadster has got to come through. Roadster is Road Soda's pick, everybody. Put all your fucking chips on Roadster, baby. He's bringing it home. Bringing it home. He's bringing it home for us. And uh, we will catch you on the next episode of Road Soda. Please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please uh, subscribe so you can catch us every single Monday. Follow us everywhere at Road Soda Mail. Send your comments, questions, reviews for the Millennial Book Club. Everything. Your uh, uh, we need your social security number. We'll need your <laughs> we'll need your your mailing address if you would like uh, a free listener postcard. And send us something about the next NBC assignment, bonding. If you would like to get the. Super exclusive. Super exclusive, double exclusive postcard. Double exclusive. For super members. So, and uh, send that all to roadsodamail at gmail.com. Have a beautiful week, everybody.